we are so connected. We are so in reliance with the earth and the sun and the minerals and the elements that we cannot survive. We will start to deteriorate without getting these things from those external sources. friends. Welcome to the Medicine Stories podcast, where we are remembering what it is to be human upon the earth. I'm Amber Magnolia Hill. This is episode 87 with Kimber Malden, all about food and energy generation at the cellular level. We're specifically speaking to women in this episode, but it's for anyone with a body that contains cells inside of it. So yeah, do you ever feel like your body isn't working right? Like you want a little more energy or to not have gut or autoimmune, hormonal, fertility, etc. issues? Um, or do you ever feel super overwhelmed by all the conflicting nutritional information out there? If you said no to either of those, you must be very young (laughs) or maybe you've already found the pro-metabolic framework. So we talk about this in the episode, but I really want to frame this conversation very clearly from the beginning. So this is a long episode. Two hours is the interview, and then there's like an hour and a half of bonus audio over at Patreon. And I'll talk about that too. And this is not going to be a short intro because this feels so big and so important and has been so positively life-changing for me that I really want to do it right. Because this also can be overwhelming, understanding the pro-metabolic framework. So Pro-metabolic has also been known in the past as the bioenergetic view, and it's not so much a nutritional philosophy as a deep understanding of the human cell. And this work arises not from nutritionists, but from biologists who were studying cell function. So as I say to Kimber in the beginning of the interview, My concept of metabolism really goes back to my mom in the 80s and 90s. Speaking of metabolism as how to burn as much calories or fat as quickly as possible. And I mean, talk about food confusion, right? It goes back at least, at least till the 80s. I know a little earlier than that, we talk about the Ansel Keys study, for example, in this conversation, which came out in the 70s which gave the entire country some really bad nutrition information. But metabolism really just comes down to cellular energy production or how well each cell in the body is able to take the inputs that we give it, food, calories, um, oxygen, sunlight, and turn that into energy. It's that simple. So, so many common modern health problems have an underlying metabolic cause. You know, we're like doing all these band-aid things with pharmaceuticals or even herbs to address them when if we were just addressing our metabolism, that could take care of everything. Owen said to me recently, like, wow, I feel like understanding pro-metabolic makes so much fall into place. And I said, dude, I was just thinking the exact same thing. Like all these nutritional things I've heard my entire life, the ones that have made sense, the one that haven't, 
that all makes sense within this framework. It's not a diet, although there are definitely lists of the best foods you can eat to support your metabolism and the foods that are going to really disrupt metabolic function. Um, Most women, I'm guessing this goes for men too, but for sure most women, because the bodies of biological females are so vastly different, are hypometabolic, which means our metabolisms are not working to the best of their capabilities. And something I've learned through this, and this very much applied to me, most women are not eating enough food. We are not getting sufficient calories. I was getting vastly too little calories every day until very recently, especially moms. If you have a little one or multiple little ones, you are barely feeding yourself, right? And so eating enough food is just as important as eating foods that support the metabolism. So I'm going to say it again. This is not some flash in the pan bad diet, even though the word pro-metabolic is new and becoming pretty hot right now. It's just a deep understanding of human biology and how to best support the cells in making the energy that runs the entire body. I've spent a couple months now eating this way and I've spent that entire time working on this episode and the Patreon bonuses that go with it as well, just really trying to distill down to its essence what feel like the most important starting points. So this episode is meant to be a starting point. You might feel a little lost at points during the interview if you don't have like any any background whatsoever in nutritional sciences. You know, Kimber's qualified and I have just been really interested my whole life as my mom was in trying to like figure out what is the healthiest thing for me to be doing? And I have been so overwhelmed so many times. I have come to deeply believe things that I read in a book or saw from an influencer that then got completely turned on its head. This has happened to me a number of times since finding the pro-metabolic framework. I was talking to a friend about this recently, and she was saying that you know, at some point she just gave up trying to figure out nutrition and just is eating what she wants, what she feels called to. And I get that. And I've definitely considered doing that many times myself. And I'm I'm not saying that's not healthy. I think that can be very healthy. But for me, in the end, like truth exists and there there is, there are answers around what can help us to be the healthiest we can be. And I'm just, I'm willing to like slog through overwhelming information and misinformation to get there. And gosh, you guys, it has made such a difference in my life and my energy levels and my symptoms in the last couple months just to be eating foods that are higher in bioavailable nutrients and lower in nutrient inhibitors. I know a lot of people are coming from vegan backgrounds and there's so much information or vegetarian out there about incorporating animal proteins and fats into the diet. I think now what we're starting to see is a lot of people coming from paleo carnivore backgrounds who need information on carbs. That is another thing that I was doing was really inhibiting or um, minimizing my carbohydrate intake really so subconsciously. Like I never said, okay, I'm going to do this. 
it was just in the back of my mind. I was like, mm, carbs are bad. You know, carbs make you fat. And for years I was doing that and it was causing all these symptoms in my body. So I think it's kind of interesting and I'm, I'm curious. I'd love to know the numbers on how many people have been vegan or vegetarian and now how many people have done paleo, keto, or carnivore because we talk a lot about restrictive diets in this interview and how, you know, they don't work because they're hard and people bounce back, but also they really suppress the metabolism. Another thing I've realized is that I have been running on stress hormones for probably since my oldest child was born 15 and a half years ago, just running on stress hormones. And I think so many people, so many women and so many mothers are doing the same. And once you start getting sufficient calories, sufficient carbohydrates, your body can start running on what's supposed to food and start stop running off of stress hormones, which causes so many problems. Okay, I'm going to tell you quickly about the two Patreon bonuses. They are both audio bonuses. So the first one is a bonus conversation between Kimber and I. And so Kimber has this amazing online course called Habitually Healthy, which I signed up for like the day or two after I found her on Instagram because I just, I knew this was going to be big and I knew it was information I wanted. And as part of Habitually Healthy, when you sign up, you get a free health consult with her. So this is my health consult. Although to be honest, because I'm an interviewer at heart, it ends up just really being more of an extension of this interview. But it is really like a look at my, it's an hour and 11 minutes at my personal health and where I've been and where I'm at now. So we talk about my history with fasting and why I can't and shouldn't ever do it again. I can't meaning like for the last year I've been like, I literally can't do this anymore. I don't know why, but I know I can't. We talk about the evolutionary lens of health and biology that is the foundational view of so much of what I've discussed on this podcast. You know, the thing about how we're genetically identical to our paleolithic ancestors and what that actually gets wrong. So that has been a major paradigm shift for me. We talk about two major health influencers who have certainly had an impact on me over the years, Dave Asprey and Dr. Zach Bush and what in the pro-metabolic framework they get wrong. Uh, we talk about raw vegan fruitarian diets and how you cannot spiritually bypass your way out of your metabolic needs. That's a direct quote from Kimber, and I think that's so important. And I've known so many people who've tried to do that. We talk about food and the menstrual cycle, and I share the menstrual cycle-centered planner that I use. You can also use it, um, use the moon cycle as part of this planner if you don't menstruate. I love this planner, and I also talk about my favorite cycle tracking app. We talk about frustrations and overwhelm around meal planning and meal prep and what Kimber and I eat when we're hangry, like the really quick, easy snacks that are going to give you what you need the truth about protein and women. And Kimber shares the general macronutrient ratio she shoots for and why she personally doesn't measure anything. So cool thing about ProMetabolic is that it really takes each individual into consideration. So there is no macronutrient ratio that's recommended for everyone. You know, like in keto, it's very clear what percentage of your diet should be protein, fats, and carbs. But in pro-metabolic, it's, it's different. It's really respecting bio-individuality. But, you know, Kimber shares what she more or less shoots for. 
So then the second Patreon offering, this is all at patreon.com slash medicine stories for $2 a month patrons. Thank you. I love you. I decided, so when both of these interviews were conducted, it was over a month ago and sitting down to get this episode out, I realized, wow, my life and my health have really changed a lot since these interviews were conducted because I made a very strong effort to be eating pro-metabolically this whole time. So I decided I need to share with you guys what has changed for me. One month of pro-metabolic eating and having sufficient carbs and literally just sufficient calories, enough food for the first time in my adult life, and really sufficient nutrients for the first time in my entire life, considering that I grew up solely on processed foods. The radical shift in my relationship to my body, the one thing I never thought would happen to me that I'm convinced is due to pro-metabolic eating. How my whole family loves eating this way and it's completely shifted the food culture in my house. I'm so grateful for this. There's like no more squabbling over what we're preparing for food from the 15-year-old or the five-year-old. Everyone is on board and everyone is loving it. Um, How I've upped my meal planning and meal prep game. The pro-metabolic podcast I've been binging and recipe resources. I think this is super important. It is for me at least when I'm figuring out a new way of eating is to just have someone tell me what to fucking cook. And these recipes have been great coming from multiple different sources. Two things I didn't say in that recording that I'm going to say now. Well, the first one is an hour after I recorded it, I started my period and I'm on day four now. By far the easiest period I ever remember having in 30 years of having a cycle. The second is that months ago, a friend was placing a wholesale order with this bougie, and I think it is really a high quality um, supplement company, Symbiotica. And I ordered, I don't know, a bunch of supplements, like eight or 10 supplements because she was getting this wholesale price. But it ended up taking months for the whole thing to finally get completed because all these other people were going in on it and complications of gathering money from people. And I finally got the supplements last week and I was going through the box and like reading them and trying to remember like, wait, why did I think I need this? And realizing like, I don't need this anymore. The symptoms I was trying to address through these supplements have been gone since I have been getting sufficient food in my body and supporting my metabolism at the cellular level. Like, holy shit, (laughs) holy shit. All this money I could have saved and all this money I will be saving in the future. Okay. So you can find Patreon medicine stories. You can just search that and those will both be there for you. So let me tell you a bit about Kimber. Kimber Malden is a functional nutritionist and women's health coach operating within the pro-metabolic and bioenergetic health space. She's passionate about helping women reclaim their female bodies through developing body literacy and embracing self-care as health care. She recently launched a women's health course, Habitually Healthy, and also offers private coaching to women seeking more individualized support. So yeah, again, if you sign up for Habitually Healthy, you will get that free one-on-one call with her. And if you have any labs, she can help you read the labs. Um, I don't have any, but I might get some like the mineral hair analysis just to see where I'm at with my minerals. Um, Habitually Healthy has been lovely for me and you get lifetime access. It's 
slide-based, so it's not just someone's face talking at you, but there's visuals, which I find really helpful. And it's a lot, like it's hours and hours and hours and hours of information. So I think of it as um, just a resource library. You have lifetime access, so you can jump back into it anytime you want. And you can find that link for Habitually Healthy in the show notes. Um, there's also links for Kimber's two ebooks down there. One is the Reparative Eating Guide, and one is called Nourishing Our Sanity. So that one, of course, is all about mental health. And the Reparative Eating Guide I have found super helpful. And it's kind of like, here's what to eat. This is what you eat, which I don't know, like I need that. So, okay, everything is in the show notes. Thanks for sticking with me through this extended intro. And again, it's a long interview. I really recommend listening to the end. I really recommend checking out the bonus audio on Patreon. Not only has this really profoundly shaped, changed my life and my family's life for the better, but I have seen at this point, I'm following all sorts of different people. And, you know, I always have a ton of resources in the show notes here and on Patreon for all the folks I've been following and learning from besides Kimber. I have just seen so many thousands of women say the same thing. They're resolving infertility. They're resolving cysts, PCOS, endometriosis, like deep-seated, really difficult autoimmune issues, all sorts of gut and digestive stuff, which, yeah, listen to the end of this interview to hear Kimber and I talk about the one food, so simple, that you can eat every day that has had a dramatic positive effect on my digestion. It's like amazing and so easy and really based in like deep science. Just stick with it. It's a lot of information and you might feel overwhelmed and talking about food information overwhelm is definitely a part of this interview. But in time, it's so worth it to really understand how your cells and your biology work at the deepest level and just be able to eat really good, delicious food that's like such a non-restrictive way of eating. It's a joyful way of eating. So obviously, I feel very positively about ProMetabolic. I want to spread the word. That's what I'm doing today. Thank you so much, Kimber, for being the first person to open my eyes to this. I knew immediately that this was profound and that I would eventually share it. And I'm so happy to be doing so now. So without further ado, here is my interview with Kimber Malden. Hi, Kimber. Welcome. I'm I'm so happy that I found you and that we can bring this pro-metabolic message to more people. Yay. Yeah, me too. I'm really excited to dig into all this with you. Let's start with kind of a two-parter. How did you fall into this work and what what is metabolism because I think about what how my I know my mom conceived of it you know like in the 80s and 90s which was how fast you can burn calories and lose weight and and then what is what is pro-metabolic as well yeah it's interesting because that term even pro-metabolic is still come it's still you know somewhat new and when I was in school for health science and I was on my I was in my mid-20s and I was on what I thought would be a path towards dietetics. And I was struggling with my health. I think I added in animal foods like an hour, like a year prior and was just still really struggling with how to resolve my health issues as a no longer vegan. And, and I found this couple who now, I don't know if you follow them, but they're on Instagram as um, the real food gangsters. 
Yes, I am. I love them so much. Yeah. So I found them totally random. A friend of my housemates was like, there's this couple that does this weird nutrition stuff. You should check them out. They're in San Diego. And so I had a consult with Jeannie and then ended up working with them. And I was just in a place in my life where now I've experienced several other women who come to work with me or kind of, I can, I can relate, like have a lot going on and a lot of stress patterns and behavior patterns that I don't really know how to stop, like working way too much, dating someone that is stressing me out because of the attachment incongruencies there and not really just in a place to actually address the stress component of my health. And so they did definitely plant some seeds in me that I took with me beyond once I stopped working with them, but I was not a great client. Like I was like stressed in every um, session and I was, had a really hard time tracking my food, which was something that she had me do would wanted me to do in order to really understand my symptoms and track my temperature and my pulse. And I couldn't even do that because I was moving so much. So I just continued working with them and didn't even like finish the full package. And I had, I actually even, I also drove, this is like in 2012. So this is like, a it's crazy. It's already been a decade. I actually drove all the way from Oakland where I was living to San Diego to see, to see her in person once. That was like the last time that we had a session and they introduced me. I can't remember whether it was directly or indirectly through referencing him to Ray Pete. And I started, I immediately was like, there's something to this guy. Like the way he communicates, the way he connects dots, he's an out of the box thinker, things that really speak to me as a person. Will you, will you tell us more about who Ray Pete is? That was going to be one of my questions too. Yeah. Yeah. Ray P is a, a researcher, a nutrition researcher and health science researcher, and um, he's written many books and articles. And he's, I think he's in his like mid eighties at this point. And yeah. he has his PhD in biology and physiology. And actually, you know what? I pulled up his, if you don't mind, I'm going to read really quickly. Some of the stuff. Yeah, please. Quick about me. So, so he, his approach gives priority to environmental influences on development, regenerative processes, and an evolutionary perspective. When biophysics, biochemistry, and physiology are worked into a comprehensive view of the organism, it appears that the degenerative processes are caused by effects in our environment. So he takes an evolutionary lens, but he doesn't take it from like an ideological standpoint. He takes it from a very practical standpoint, and he also utilizes uh, epigenetics a lot. So he is very much aware and applies that to his like framework of, of health. And then I started my work with progesterone and related hormones. And in my dissertation, I outlined my ideas regarding progesterone and the hormones closely related to it as protectors of the body's structure and energy against the harmful effects of estrogen, radiation, stress, and a lack of oxygen. And the key idea was that energy and structure are interdependent at every level. So this is a really important quote that I've used a few different times. And this basically means that all the structural health issues that we all seem to be having in mass amounts, especially women in this culture, whether that's um, chronic blood sugar, chronic blood pressure issues, cholesterol issues, autoimmune condition issues, issues, issues with digestion and motility. Those, would I, those are what I would consider structural issues. Those will always come hand in hand with an energetic issue. So, so what's happening at the level of the cell as the cell works to try to produce the energy for our entire metabolisms to function. So you're never going to have a health issue that doesn't also have a cellular component to it, an, an energetic component to it at the level, level of the cell. And this is something that doesn't really get talked about enough. Like it, energy metabolism tends to get focused on in like fitness and 
bodybuilding and like areas of nutrition and health where people are intentionally trying to seek a specific physique. But in the general health world, it doesn't really seem, it seems to be completely ignored. So since then, it seems that all of the problems of development and degeneration can be alleviated by the appropriate use of energy protective materials. This is me quoting him again. When we realize that our human nature is problematic, we can begin to explore our best potentials. I think I'm not sure completely what he means by problematic, but my sense is that we very easily capitalize things and can like, if you, he, one thing that I really immediately loved about Pete is that he is really good at not only does he understand the deep science and the understand like the physiological aspects of health, but he also zooms out very easily and connects dots between cultural issues and why we believe the things we do and all of the problems with the, the marketing and like the basically like turning people into the market and um, the commodification of health. And there's so much incentives to mislead people all across the board, whether it's in agricultural pharmace- for pharmaceuticals, medicine, research. And that makes you sound like a conspiracy theorist, but he's actually really brilliant and I spent hours listening to podcasts back then with him and trying to wrap my mind around his theories. And I was just getting into the hard sciences and I was not very well, like my energy was really low and it just, I wasn't in a place in my life where it could land. So I really enjoyed him. I actually, I think a lot of people have a hard time with him. So he, they find him to be inaccessible because he's long-winded and rambles. And he kind of reminds me of like, Noam Chomsky, like you have to listen to hours and hours of him to really fully understand his theories. I love that about him, but it was more that I just wouldn't, I didn't have the maturity and knowledge base for it to land. I wasn't in the place for it to land. So I stopped working with those people, finished my two-year science degree that was going to be a dietetics license, and then decided to go into a private nutrition school instead, and um, which was more holistic. And then just continued my education and, um, you know, researching and networking and stuff slowly and had to go through like several more years of being into the keto world, being into the paleo world, being into the carnivore world, like really like cycling through these fairly like rigid ideological frameworks of health to kind of slowly make my way back to him. And that was when I started to see this pro-metabolic bioenergetic approach starting to grow online and then rediscovered, you know, Jeannie and, and Josh Rubin and people like Jessica Ash and other people. And was like, wow, this is so great that these people are already there. They really understand his work. And it's not just his work, like the pro-metabolic approach, bioenergetic approach is really like a, it's like a synthesis of several different people's approaches and, and, and bodies of work that look at the metabolism as a whole in, in the context of this culture and how to best cater our healing work towards the foundational processes first and foremost, such as um, cellular energy production and things like enzymes and hormones and whatnot. Yeah. So, okay. My understanding, obviously like the cell is the basis for every, every function, every organ, every system in the body mm-hmm. and, and the mitochondria within the cell. Mm-hmm. And this is actually why this all makes so much sense to me is because I got really interested in mitochondria years ago because it's passed solely through the mother line. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting. And like wanted to just understand more about the germ line and the gametes and the egg and all that stuff. And so when I started finding you and pro-metabolic, I was like, oh, I actually understand what they're talking about. So the food we take in, the air, the sunlight, these inputs 
become the energy that runs every single cell in our body. And my understanding is that 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 is metabolism. That is metabolism. So metabolism, when people use, I think the word metabolism, often people often, it stops at like how fast you can burn calories, like how quickly you, like what you're saying with your mom. And so a lot of people think of metabolism and that's kind of where it ends. But metabolism is basically the process of our body is using oxygen and fat and glucose and um, to respirate, to convert into ener- actual energy that will power our mitochondria, which are the, like the power grids within our cells that have their own DNA and like are essentially like running the show. And we need to be doing that constantly every second that we're alive from the time that we're born until we die. And it's not enough to have the fuel, which would be the oxygen, the glucose, the fat, especially the oxygen, the glucose, which are like the two big ones. We also have to have the cofactors. And so this is a big part of this bioenergetic pro-metabolic approach is understanding how important that is. Like, it's not enough to just get fuel into your system because if you're in a stressed state, which so many people are, and that includes not having, it's a stress to not have those cofactors. And so your body may not be able to use the fuel that you take in because you don't have the things that you need to actually make those cellular processes work. And so this is where it's like really, really important to not remove certain things because you have some ideological, very overly simplified or incomplete understanding of those things, like certain food groups or whatever, um, because you could be inhibiting your body's ability to produce energy. And that's not something that's just going to show up overtly all all at once. It's going to be probably a slow burn because your body is resilient. And so it will grab nutrients. It will still from other places and will start to down regulate certain things and prioritize some things over other things. And this is why you see so many women that like lose their period, you know, start struggling with fertility, lose their hair, their skin starts aging. So, you know, they even will put on like safety weight. All of these things are basically their body's signals that their body has stopped prioritizing those things. Like it it's focusing on survival because it does not have the raw materials that it needs to produce energy. So every other illness, all the symptoms and illnesses that we have, although they do need to be at a certain point, they need to be addressed on their own for their own sake. Underneath that is a cellular energy issue. And that has to be resolved. Otherwise, all the things that you're doing are not going to get you well. You're going to be consistently, and I see this with a lot of people, they just have recurring issues. They just come back year after year. They might resolve their symptoms for a little while, and then it comes back again. So yeah, so you mentioned in your, when you sent over your email, you wanted to, you mentioned metabolic safety. Yeah. It seems like that's a good place to talk about that. Yeah. So that's, that's something that I personally, that term and that concept really hits home with me and is something I tend to prioritize and want to emphasize because we all are dealing with stress that we often don't realize we're dealing with because we're living in a culture where there's a certain pace and a lot of input and things that just naturally stress our system out. And we can go into what stress is specifically, but it's going to be really hard for your body to repair and heal if it doesn't even have what it needs just to sustain it, sustain itself, you know? And so you're going to have to get yourself to a place where you're not in survival mode, where you're not constantly, like I was telling you when I was working with, you know, Jeannie back in 2012 or whatever, I was, I could not get myself into a sense of metabolic safety. So there, it was really hard for her. She had a limited capacity to help me. Um, like, because I was not high agency at that time. Like you have to get yourself to a place where you're high enough agency, where you can actually 
resource yourself and get the, the things that you need to get yourself into a sense of safety so that your body can start to repair itself. And for me, this is like across the board, like I, I speaking specifically to women, because I work with women, we are very sensitive to stress. We are more likely to diet. We're more likely to have history of eating disorder. We're more likely, we're more sensitive to signals, cultural messages around our appearance, our body size and weight morality and what we should be doing and eating to be a good person. We're more catered to by like toxic, the toxic beauty and like body care industry that just like floods our system with these toxins that are themselves a stressor metabolically. Since we're more likely to restrict, we're more likely to have nutrient deficiencies that will then disrupt those cellular functions that we need to rely on. And we're also like more sensitive, I think because we are um, social creatures and we are designed to carry baby and we have like this very expensive reproductive process that we're like kind of needing to protect even if it's unconscious I think we're more sensitive to relationship issues too like I have this theory it's just a theory but a lot of my clients have similar to me have like sensitive attachment styles and have like a history of you know insecure attachments that have affected their health and their food choices and their ability to really like feel secure and safe enough to heal heal themselves And so that's also a component, like you have to get yourself into a sense of metabolic safety in all the areas of your life in order for your system to not consistently be hijacked. What aspects of modern life disrupt people's and women's, especially metabolism? And and if perhaps you could specifically speak to yourself and what your issues were in your early twenties or, you know, make it more general too. Yeah, for me, um, I think the messages from our culture is a big one. Like, and this is, you know, I know you have a teenage daughter. I just, it's hard for me to, I have friends with, you know, preteen daughters and there's just so many messages that we're getting sent all the time that are sending us signals that we need to do things that are dramatic or unconscious or destructive to our health in some way, whether that's like sexual behaviors or restricting our foods or buying certain products or, so that's one is just the culture itself. And then dieting, which I I include, and I, I, you know, there's different forms of dieting and there's a difference between healthy eating and dieting and um, what that looks like. And so women are more likely to go vegan. Like the the vast majority of, of the demographic that's most affected by vegan propaganda is females between the age of like 13 and 30 or something. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that comes with a lot of nutrient deficiencies um, and a lot of problems, especially the longer you do it low carb and keto and carnivore, all these restrictive diets are stressors to our system because we are intentionally choosing to abstain from foods, not for reasons that tie in with our, you know, place on the planet. And like, I mean, historically people, people, traditional cultures ate certain things and not other things because it was what they had access to. This is, this is more of like a self inflicted restriction because of beliefs we have that we haven't really, we don't really understand. And then the products we get told we should use. And so it really blows my mind now how many women, like I grew up, I also grew up without my mom most of the time my dad raised, raised us. And so I didn't really have a strong matriarchal, matriarchal force in my house to teach me about my body. And, but I talked to so many women that did, and they still did not, they were not told about their ovulation. They were not told about cervical fluid and like just knowing that these things happen to your body and that they're natural and they're normal and there's healthy ways to approach it and to take care of yourself. So you don't have to just like feel like you need to use scented products to like cover up the way you smell or like use toxic tampons every month to just like plug yourself up so you can go about your day and act like you're not on your period 
So there's like so many things that we're taught to do with our bodies that become normalized that actually contribute to oxidative stress, contribute to endocrine disruption, contribute to um, toxic burden and chemicals that end up in our breast tissue and can affect our, you know, pelvic area and the cells in that area. Yeah. So that's, there's a, you know, it's there's like a lot of things. It's so there's much. So many things. And I, and I, and I don't want to seem, seem like an alarmist because it's this weird paradox where we're living in a time where women have more freedom in the West than we've ever had. And I definitely like think that that's a beautiful thing in many aspects, like what women have had to go through historically is pretty brutal. And so, and we have more freedom to take care of ourselves. Like we actually can go and we can have ongoing nutrients. Like I can go to the grocery store whenever I want and buy food. Like mm-hmm. it's just a really, really brilliant thing. We have like indoor plumbing and like all these things that we just completely take for granted. Right. But there's so just, there's just so many like synthetic lights, you know, having fluorescent lights on us all the time, not spending enough time outside for women specifically. And this is one that I feel really strongly about. And I haven't spoken about, I have, I'm still trying to find my voice around it and figure out a way to frame it. But like, I genuinely feel like women progressing has actually, our progress came with a price, like it came with a metabolic price. And so to be a progressive empowered woman often means to escalate ourselves into in ways that within systems that were designed for men. And so taking birth control and completely shutting your cycle down for the sake of your like sexual freedom is one big one. That's like controversial, but it's like, it's come with some serious, stressful, unintended consequences for mm-hmm. women's health, mm-hmm. trying to work out and get our body to this like low body fat is just such a stress. Like the way that we approach exercise it's such a stressful, like masculine way to care for our bodies and to try to get like, you know, to try to stay in shape or whatever. And I saw this like meme online recently. I think it might've been Carnivore Aurelius actually that posted it. Cause he's like the king of wonder. Like, I just love the shit that he posts. He, um, it, I think it was him. And it was like, uh, what we think of a fit woman's body should look like. And it was like this woman that's like super toned and, and then what a real fit bodies woman looks like. And it was a pregnant woman. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, that's beautiful. Like, that's actually what our biological purpose as controversial as this is now is to procreate. Like, that's what a woman's biological purpose, not like her purpose is a sentient being or like a, you know, but like, that's what nature designed us to do. And so doing all these things to make us look like we're so toned and in shape and like 2% body fat. And that's actually not like there's consequences for that. And it's incredibly stressful. Yeah. I mean, re- reproduction is the point of all of life, not just human life. Yeah. And, and if you're yeah. born female, then that's just like the biological metabolic truth of your evolutionary past and why you are, who you are and how you are now. And so that's why this is the lens through which we look at health and metabolism. Yeah. And I, and that's a particular lens I take because I work only with women. And so a lot of these things can be applied to men and women, like the truths within the pro-metabolic space, but I look specifically at women and I just, and I, I I fall into this category too. Like I have been, you know, quote unquote health oriented since my late teens, early twenties, I worked with children. I was a birth worker. I've never been on hormonal birth control, but I didn't track my cycle or give a shit about my fertility. Like I didn't think twice about it because I was behaving like a man who has endless amounts of time to have a family. It's an afterthought and never really thought about how my like starvation diets or like stress patterns were affecting my fertility and what that meant for my entire metabolism. There's this really great book called, this is your brain on birth control. 
it's one of the best books for helping women. I mean, I've never been on birth control, so it's not something that I was concerned about myself, but really understanding like all of the globally collected data on birth control. And then also just like sex hormones, like women, we, we are made like our sex hormones make us who we are. And I mean, they contribute to everything from like our senses, like our sense of smell and taste and like whether we like to listen to music or whether we like to, you know, listen to a podcast, those things can actually be linked to specific hormonal changes throughout the month, who we choose as a, as a mate, how we feel about ourselves, our energy levels, just so many things are affected by our sex hormones. And so that cycle we have every month is intricately linked with who we are and with our, our levels of health throughout our lives. And to not know that, like to have this like lost ancestral wisdom and then to call it like progress progress right feminism, the opposite. It's bizarre it's totally yeah. bizarre and it's like it's upholding these patriarchal ideals actually is what it yeah yeah and it's it's a bizarre it's a really like uh shocking thing when you step back and you look at statistics around how many women are unhappy and like the largest demographic of women that are on antidepressants, which is the large women are the largest group of, you know, people that take antidepressants. And, but the largest demographic of women who take antidepressants is women between, I think it was like 39 and 45 or something. And this, I, I heard a theory recently on like, um, Chris Williamson, he's this, this podcaster that I really admire, have been listening to a lot lately. And he was talking about how he, his theory, and I actually see relevance to this is that that's a stage in a progress, uh, like a modern progressive woman's life when she's hit a wall and she realizes she's not going to have a family. Like that's a big fucking thing to have to swallow and realize like you didn't prioritize it. And now that ship has passed. You can, you can adopt and you can do it solo, but like you haven't prioritized family and that's not something you can get back. And I'm 35 and I'm like at that place now where I'm like realizing this is really important to me. So Mm -hmm. every relationship I get into at this point, I screen the guy. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I want a kid in a few years. Like, can you handle that? Like, like, do you want that? Is that, and then I like start looking for signs of a good dad, (laughs) Mm -hmm. looking for signs of good genes too. Like, as he take care of himself, this is thyroid low. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I see that in so many friends and I, that, that makes sense to me too, biologically for women, but just men and women, I'm 41. And so, you know, my friends range in age from 30 to 50 and at about this age is when people go, Oh shit, like that's not going to happen for me. You know, with career, family, relationship, whatever the goals were. So, yeah. Just, just a stray observation there. Let's talk about glucose and carbs. Let's kind of get more into the nitty gritty of, of all of this because so in the Patreon bonus, you and I talk more about my history with food. You and I both have been kind of paleo carnivore keto adjacent at points in our past. Um, and I realized like a couple months ago that I still subconsciously will be like, I'm going to take a small portion of rice. I'm going to skip the toast this morning. Mm-hmm. I just, I like, ah, we talk about this on Patreon too, but just the constantly fucking changing rules of nutrition. It's like, I want to talk about poofas too and fish oils for sure with you today. But actually, let me say this too, that what, so what I'm finding with pro-metabolic is like, this isn't that though. This is not like a fad flash in the pan 
based on shoddy science trend because really this is deeply biologically rooted. Like mm-hmm. Ray Pete is actually, he's not a nutritionist, right? He's a biologist. No, there's not a, this is the funny thing. There's not really a Ray Pete diet. Like if you look, there's yeah. hashtags for Ray Pete diet. And he doesn't, I mean, there's certain things he recommends, but again, you got to spend hours listening to his stuff to, to see, to understand why he recommends them. And, yeah. all and let me, let me that. frame this too. I think I said this in Patreon also, but it seems to me like there's Ray Pete and maybe it sounds like a couple others who were doing this deep biological research but I find him hard to, I haven't listened to him, but I find him hard to read because it just, my brain doesn't work like that. But then there's you and Jessica Ash and Cows Eat Grass on Instagram and other people who are kind of like the second generation who are synthesizing those ideas and making them accessible to the lay person. So thank you for that. And now I think that's why pro-metabolic is flourishing right now because it's suddenly become accessible. And so part of <laughs> the like, total brain flip-flop that's happened for me in the last few months is like, wait, I should be eating like seven, maybe up to 70% carbs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a trip for people. And and again, it's not like a all, it's not all, all like all, what am I trying to say? All size fits one size, one size fits all. There you go. Like so many of us come into this healing approach from a different place. Like most of us have metabolic, like most of us are hypometabolic, which basically means when I say hypometabolic, I mean, there's specific processes that regulate our system and have a big impact on everything that tend to slow down. They slow down and they drop. So you're thinking, I think hypothyroid, hypoglycemia, like low, low thyroid, low blood sugar, low nutrient status, so this is what I, when I say hypometabolic, that's what I mean. And a lot of times we won't even know that we're in hypo, a state of hypometabolic. It can, we can be in that, that state for years and years before. Do we you crash. think most people are hypometabolic? Most women? Yeah. And again, like I'm cautious to say that because it sounds kind of alarmist or a ge- very general extreme thing to say, but and I got this years ago too. I remember working with Jeannie and just being really trying to wrap my mind around the things she was telling me to do. And I'm like, well, what about them? They juice all the time and they're healthy. And what about them? And I remember her being like, or, or what about salads? Salads have nutrients in them and greens. And I remember her just being like, which body are we talking about? Like, are we talking about your body or someone else's body? Cause you have no idea what's going on in their body. And just because yours has started to show symptoms of stress doesn't mean that theirs won't get there too. And so and just because they look good on Instagram doesn't mean they are thriving healthy or that they will be healthy in five years. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people can handle certain diets for longer than others. And a lot of people can handle stress for longer than others. And so even, you know, Jessica Ash put this out a while ago, cause she, you know, she's got a really large, she's her, her following and her business has grown exponentially in the last two years. And she's got, she gets a lot of people that give her shit for her recommendations. She also gets a lot of people who are benefiting. So it's like, I think yeah. way more people benefiting, but because she has such a large audience and she gives some advice to me, but on a large scale, like advice similar to mine, but on a large scale and she gets shit. And so she, at one point she was like, if you want to give me shit for recommending carbs or recommending animal foods, fine. Uh, if you don't want to like take my advice or work with me or, you know, that's fine. I'll see you in two years. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I was like, that's so true. Like, yeah. and that's usually what happens is people will get, you know, triggered. And then like, <laughs> I made a post, I made a post yesterday about fasting. What's wrong with fasting. And I didn't even go into like great detail because it was a, a simplified post with only one slide and, you know, the character limits and stuff. But 
I got several DMs and a hand, you know, a handful of comments in the comment section, people that were clearly triggered, all women that were clearly triggered and were like, well, fasting works for me. You should differentiate between longer fast and intermittent fasting. Intermittent fasting is, and it was like, did you read, actually read what I wrote? Because it's like, I actually addressed the, you know, the mechanisms that we get sold on for why we should fast. I addressed that. And then I gave the caveat or I gave the trade-offs and it was like, it's not, it's not landing at all because they are still in the state of like fasting is good for me. And this is what works for me. And, and I'm just like, not even going to respond and try to convince them of anything because I'll see them in a few years. As we talk about on the Patreon bonus too, we talk about my history. That would have been me a year ago. It'd have been like, fasting, but it's good for yeah. all the reasons. And then over the last year, I've been like, can't do it anymore. And now I'm realizing all the health detriments, which we talk about there on Patreon. Um, but I always say this about vegans too, is like the people coming at me right now for how great their vegan diet is. I'm like, sweet. Uh, I You'll be messaging me in a few years. Like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, I my health crashed and I turn around and then you're going to do your post about being an ex-vegan. And then all the people in the comments there are going to come at you. And then in a couple of years, they're going to do I- their post <laughs> about their health crash and their ex. I, I've seen this play out now on social media yeah. for over 10 years. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and, and that's if you're lucky and you, your health crashes early and then you can change your mind. This is the thing about like this insidious thing about ideology is that like, depending on how much identity you've created for yourself in around it, you could be in this world for years and years and your health is clearly not benefiting, but you're not willing to admit it because you're, you've sunk, you, you, there's so much like sunk cost in this identity you've created. So the low carbon, I'm curious, did were you ever carnivore? Did you do that? Not really. I mean, I never, I was never like, I'm carnivore now, but I was definitely deeply influenced by this idea that like our ancestors would have eaten a lot of meat, a lot of muscle meat, a lot of protein and low carbs. And then also keto. Like I, like I said to you, I, I, I actually did keto for like two weeks maybe, Mm -hmm. but I was still really influenced by the idea that like a lot of fat is really good and the less carbs, the better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Keto has never really worked for me. So I was never really like on the keto train just because it didn't seem practical. I couldn't do it. And I wasn't actually seeing consistent results with women. The idea, again, the idea of keto, people doing these like crash keto diets to prepare for a, you know, a wedding or an event or something, but the actual, like putting yourself into a state of ketosis, checking your ketones all the time, eating really strict is not done well by a lot of people. It's not, it doesn't, not, women's hormones will crash pretty quickly. So I never really endorsed that necessarily just, I just really didn't look very much into energy metabolism enough for a few years to really understand why intuitively it didn't make sense to me. Carnivore actually made more sense to me. And I think partly because I do have a history of lots of food intolerances and a lot of plant foods don't work well for a lot of people. And there's legit reasons for that. Like plants evolved to protect themselves using chemicals and they are like master biochemists and they will poison you to various degrees to get you to like not eat their babies and not like put them out of business. And so this is like very legit argument for not eating certain plants, you know? And so I got really sucked into that. And also when you're eating carnivore, you're still consuming glucose, you're converting. That's the difference between keto. You're not in ketosis when you're carnivore, really. Like you can, I guess you can be, but most people do it. There's a lot of people who actually do better, especially women on carnivore than ketosis because they're actually consuming more glucose. They're converting more glucose. It's still, I think again, like it's an overly simplified 
approach to just say, oh, convert, like just convert your protein into glucose. Like it's not a simple thing. Your body requires stress pathways in order to make that conversion. So, and, and same with ketosis, like if you're actually, if you're, if you're converting fat into ketones, if you're running off of ketones, that's a stressful pathway. That's a stress, a, a stressful process that you're going to have to, it's going to have to require the activation of stress hormones. Even if you're eating enough fat, even for people who have enough fat in their system, they're still going to be stressing themselves out by making that conversion. So these conversions like running on ketones and then gluconeogenesis, where you're converting either your body's tissue or tissue or amino acids from the food you're consuming into glucose. It's not a straight flip a switch and your body's doing it. It's a stressful process that we have evolved to have because of in, um, lack of inconsistent lack or lack of access to carbs. It wasn't something that we were designed to rely on because it's like in some way beneficial to our health. And so I think it's a very misguided belief that we should be using it because our ancestors, because we evolved with this mechanism, it's a survival mechanism. And you, that's what you do. You put yourself into a survival state. And so what happens is also like you have to consume much higher amounts of protein because your body needs that protein for, for all of the vast processes that require protein in the body. And then you will be converting a lot into glucose because there's parts of our body that absolutely have to have glucose. Like that's the thing that doesn't make sense to me, why we would downplay the, the use of the importance of glucose. Cause there's parts in our body, there's processes in our body that like cannot function without glucose, which is why we have this mechanism that will convert excess protein into glucose for times of scarcity. We needed to survive and have glucose at the same time. If all we had was some meat or something. And so it doesn't make any sense. Like when you start to look at the stress component, that's completely ignored by a lot of people in the carnivore and like keto space. And I wrote an ebook called nourishing our sanity in like 2019 beginning, I published it in the beginning of 2020. And I did a lot of networking. Well, some networking, I think the pandemic kind of put that on hold quite a bit, but like networking with people online to help spread the word of the ebook and to like help promote it. And so I got a lot of people in the carnivore and keto, keto space that followed me on Instagram and like would engage with my content. And then the moment that I started to post stuff about carbs, I like lost all of them. And I got like a few of them that would like consistently, like, I won't name any names, but like drop comments under my post, just being like, the, and it really would come back down to, well, our ancestors didn't have to eat carbs. Our ancestors didn't have to eat every three to four hours. And it was like, that's what they keep going back to. Like this trope of what our ancestors did. No, none of the actual science was being addressed at all. And a lot of these people, a lot of the women were just, if you go onto their pages, they looked like they had men's bodies. Like they were aspiring to heal by having like, you know, 0% body fat or something. And I'm like, why? Like, why, <laughs> like, why would you? And then just like, again, the fact that they had no interest in engaging with my content after I started posting things that they didn't find comfortable or agreeable. And then they would just unfollow me is like a statement to how open-minded they were of like evolving and changing their ideas up when we don't have enough glucose for those basic cellular energy production processes, we will always rely on stress hormones, like always. And so this idea that we can just run on ketones and then that's as simple as that is misguided and dangerous. And I see a lot of women come from that world who have a lot of problems with, with carb metabolism that were just exasperated by 
these diets. And I myself have had gut issues. Like I, I just, I had a stressful childhood and was on a standard American diet and then had an eating disorder and then dieted a lot. And then was on, was on antibiotics for four years straight for my skin when I was a teenager and then went into vegan. So there's like been constant assaults to my digestive tract. Right. And the only things that I knew how to do in the second half of my twenties and even the first few years of my thirties was restrict carbs. That was the only thing I knew how to do to make my IBS go away. And it was a cycle of like, like restricting carbs down, starting to get my stress levels go up, my sleep goes to shit. So I start, and I just crave carbs all the time. So I, then I, I would, you know, binge on carbs occasionally because I would lose control and then add carbs back in, start to feel like more grounded and more like calmed, calm down. And then IBS would come back up and then remove the, And this is a cycle that so many people are in, like removing your carbs doesn't actually help your body. It decreases your body's ability to metabolize carbs. And so you will become like a self-fulfilling prophecy because you remove carbs, you feel better, you add them back in, you feel like shit. So you're like, oh, I should remove them again. And it's like, really is not actually getting at the root of anything. It's constantly managing your symptoms by removing something that your body absolutely needs on like a foundational level. Yeah. So you have written that a resilient body can handle most foods. And that's kind of, you know, the point of pro-metabolic approach and eating is to get your body to that place of resilience and that elimination diets are not for long-term use. So let's talk more about elimination diets because just so many of us do it. And that was one of the big reasons I used to fast too, was just like, give my digestive system a huge break so that I can slowly reintroduce foods and figure out what I'm reacting to. And it, it yeah, so many of us are just constantly chasing what should I cut out of my diet? Yeah. It's really insidious in the health world. Like I, you know, I'll still have reactions to certain foods occasionally just because, you know, years of stress and current stress patterns that I can let get out of, out of, you know, out of whack easily. And so like, for instance, recently I was having some breakouts and just out of sheer curiosity, I, cause I know pretty much what it's related to, but out of sheer curiosity, I looked up YouTube, what suggestions from like big influencers, big influencers who have like thousands of people watching their YouTube videos. And pretty much every single one of them was like, cut out dairy, cut out sugar, cut out grains, cut out coffee, cut out chocolate. And there wasn't really a solid game plan for how to reintroduce them. There wasn't suggestions for how to replace the nutrients you lose when you cut out things like dairy and you cut out things like carbs or, you know, eggs was another one, sugar. Um, and so to me, it's just like this, it's clear to me that there's a lack of foundational understanding around what's actually happening when we're having negative reactions to foods and how to go about addressing that in a sustainable way. And on the one hand, food intolerances are real and we have to acknowledge them and work with them because if someone feels like shit, because it's, it is also a stressor to be eating something that your body isn't tolerating well, especially if you're eating it in mass quantities. And so it's a stressor. And so, so being mindful of that and being aware of it is important. I don't see like, if you are in a place where you're super metabolically taxed, like I was in my mid twenties, when I started to want to reintroduce animal foods or have to reintroduce animal foods, I did a food uh, allergy test or a food intolerance test. I was intolerant to everything, like literally like chicken, broccoli. I mean, because my system was so sensitive and my 
digestive tract was so damaged and I was so nutrient deficient. I didn't have the enzymes to break so many foods down and they were, things were getting into my bloodstream and causing immune reactions. And so I just became crazy because it was like, I can eat sunflower seeds, but not almonds because it's like, there was no rhyme or reason as to why I was reacting to certain things over other things because my body was just constantly reacting. And so if that's a place where someone's at, it's really important to just, first of all, get a baseline understanding of what it means to eat a bioavailable food, like a nutrient dense bioavailable food. So I have an, a guide, like a little ebook that I created around this just to help people understand what it means to eat something that will give your body more nutrients and with less energy exerted to eat it. So that's something that we should all know, regardless of what foods we think we're intolerant to. We need to know that so that we can fuel ourselves to, so we can get to a place where the intolerances are resolved. We need to have the energy and the nutrients to resolve the intolerance. So just focusing on what we're intolerant to is missing the point. Like we actually have to look at the mechanisms that are creating the underlying mechanisms that are creating the intolerances and then flood our system with nutrients by eating more bioavailable foods. And so that would be, you know, like organ meats, eating, you know, having bone broth. Most people who have food, egg intolerances actually like can handle eggs if they increase the quality of their eggs or even just eat the yolks for a while or eat the yolks raw. Most people who have dairy intolerances can get their body to a place where they can handle dairy if they're, you know, improving their their lactase production, improving their hormones or sex hormones, which actually play a role in lactase production, eating high quality, higher quality dairy. So getting like raw dairy getting, so there's like these very clear, simple ways that you can actually improve the function of your metabolism so that those intolerances become less of an issue. And then there's foods that I would say they're not even really foods. They're pseudo foods that we need to be removing in general. And I don't have a lot of these, but polyunsaturated fatty acids, high fructose corn syrup, like really low quality processed gluten, processed soy, you know, lots of additives. So foods that you're eating that just have all of these additives and and anti-caking agents or um, things that preservatives, things that are actually going to be inhibiting enzyme production and will affect the function of your gut. These are things that we need to be removing because they are actually inhibiting us from digesting the other things that we could be eating like dairy, or even grains, properly prepared grains. It's just, there's so many people that get to a place where they're so sensitive. And I was there where they can't handle any, like a whole host of plants. And this is what a lot of people in the carnivore world are at. They've gotten to a place where they're so fucking sensitive that they can handle nothing but steak. And I'm like, there's consequences to eating nothing but steak. (laughs) Like that's a lot of iron. That's a lot of you know, tryptophan and amino acids that can be more inflammatory. It's a lot of amino acids, probably too much for your system. And you're just missing a whole bunch of shit. Like you're, there's a whole bunch of minerals and like nutrients you're just not going to get <laughs> from, and then you're stressing yourself out by making these conversions, right. By just eating nothing protein and having to rely on that for glucose conversion. So, you know, one thing that uh, I've heard also with a few other pro metabolic people online is that like, which I also advocate for, but trigger, I think it really triggers people is there is going to be an adjustment period for eating more dense food. So for a lot of people that have gut issues or stress patterns or some kind of like addiction or attachment to feeling light to, which is a a big part of like being in the vegan community or even the raw food community, like 
I used to use that word a lot. It like, I I feel heavy when I eat that food, like meat and animal foods feel heavy. Like any food that's dense, even like potatoes, like things that are more dense foods can feel heavy and they can have, you can have a hard time digesting them. So there's a period where you just need to eat them anyways. (laughs) Like, I really feel like there is this period where you actually have to be eating more dense foods and kind of make it through the awkward what the hell am I doing my body doing with these foods period to get to a place where you can actually handle them because just living off of smoothies and juices and salads is actually perpetu- uh, perpetuating the problem and you will stay intolerant a whole bunch of things. There's a few women in my community that have like a lot of sensitivities and I see what they eat and just how small they are. And, and when I, like, there was a few women that gave me feedback on my course early on. And one of the both of them had issues with the fact that I was not catering to intolerances more like my course is advocating for eating more. And that really triggered them and left them feeling unmet because their life is like one big intolerance and restrictive diet. And, and it makes me sad because there's not, that's not a, like, there has to be a place for it to land for me to say, you're going to have to get through this period of discomfort with eating and just eat more, like just fucking eat more. And you can take minerals, you can do things to increase your enzyme production, do some like uh, nervous system regulation stuff to get your, your nervous system and your like anxiety level down because scare food makes you so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. But in the end, like you're going to have to get yourself to a place where you're accepting that you're going to have to eat more and it's going to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just want to hear that though. Jessica Ash is always posting about that, how with her huge following that she'll post something about how like nuts and seeds really should be in very moderate amounts. And there's all the issues, things like that. And people will come at her like, oh my God, what? And she's like, dude, like this nervous system activation is a part of the problem. Like you all need to chill and stop thinking about foods in terms of black and white and good and bad and can't and can and that has been a really helpful framing for me too. Cause I'll be like, Oh shit, I shouldn't be eating that. What? Oh, okay. Calm down. So, uh, so much. I love the way Jessica comes at her critics too. She's like, uh, so, she's so, great. <laughs> so fierce. And, and that's actually gotten like, I feel like that's gotten bigger because I've been paying, you know, I, I absolutely love her stuff. She's one of the few people that I actually go in and pay attention to. And I have just seen her getting more fierce and that's a reaction to having a, you like when your business explodes at the level that hers has your energy has to, you have to be manage your energy, have better boundaries. Yeah. And I think that her like ability to allow herself to be candid and like sharp and it's just like her way of taking care of herself. Yeah. <laughs> I personally love it. I'm like, I'm, I'm sick of like the coddling that we're all doing to each other at this. You and I were kind of talking about this before we recorded too. Like, I don't want to coddle my audience and I don't want people to coddle me either. Like just speak yeah. the truth and speak it plainly. Yeah. Women have really helped me, Jessica Ash, and also just talk, talking with Katya recently also about like uh, me feeling like I have women that will unfollow me or report me if I post something where my skin shows or like I've had some more like conservative women in my audience that have reported things that I've posted where like, like I had a, I had a cervical mucus post that I did once and it was reported within like, and I lost like a hundred followers immediately. <laughs> like what just happened and I realized like well this is a thing like and so I got afraid of offending someone like I started like becoming more and I started noticing this about myself like censoring myself and afraid my business is still pretty new and these women have helped inspire me to be like no this is like this is the way I'm going to run my business and present myself and I'm not actively trying to hurt or 
ostracize or, you know, offend anyone. But if someone takes it that way, then that's, that's their responsibility to leave or yeah. stick around and stick around and manage their own discomfort. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> and goodbye. It's fine. Like yeah. be an adult and unfollow if you don't like what someone's totally. talking about. So you're talking about Katya Nova, who is a mother of four and was vegan. She, she has over 100,000 followers and has for a long time. And first couple kids was like sharing about her, the vegan food. And then now with the birth of her fourth, like did a 180 and is now working on this project called Confessions of an Ex-Vegan, which I recommended she interview you and she did. And I love it. I was part of her um, matriarch. It is part of her matriarch online community. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, well, speaking of <laughs> what we should and shouldn't eat, something <laughs> like really though on the no list that is, or on the very little list that is really important to know about is PUFAs, polyunsaturated fatty acids. Yeah. So like, I just, I've noticed such a difference since really cutting them out of my diet. And it's been, it's been a thing in our home where sometimes still like, oh, and I'll come home from the grocery store and be like, oh, I got like the seaweed packs, you know, and then I'll look at it and I'll be like, dude, like canola oil, second ingredient. It's, it's just everywhere. It's everywhere. We had friends over everywhere. there. They brought this amazing salad dressing, like feta dressing. I was like, what is this? I look at it. I'm like, sunflower oil is the second ingredient. They were like, damn it. No. You know, it's in everything. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about those, please. Yeah. Yeah. They're very new to our diet. I mean, well, on the one hand, like uh, polyunsaturated fatty acids are in, inevitably, we're going to be consuming them because they're just in plants. So it's like if we, and we have been consuming plants forever. So for a long time, so we're going to get some of them in their whole food form within a plant. The difference between what we used to eat and what we eat now pre, and I just say pre-industrial because I'm not making like general statements about what we always ate all over the globe throughout history, but we didn't have access to these foods and I'm talking, I'm not even getting into the vegetable oils yet, just like the nuts and the seeds and the nut butters and the, these things we didn't have access to out, out of season. Like they're, they're um, very volatile and sensitive to heat. And so like for the, we would have access to them when like they would fall from the tree and they would be available at a certain time. And then they would become rancid. And like, all you have to do is just like take some nuts and sit them in the sun for a day and just see how, and then see how they taste and like how the texture of them changes. And, and so nuts and seeds are usually, you know, they have a specific season and then they are not, they're not designed to be viable during hot, to, throughout hot months and to stay, to be con continually consumed by animals past their, you know, season. And so Historically, we would gather them and store them and eat them during the winter. This is what a lot of animals still do. And they have these polyunsaturated fatty acids in them that slow everything down. So if you look at like, uh, you know, an animal that would collect a bunch of them and eat them and then hibernate for eight months or something, they're slowing their metabolism down so they can, they need less so they can hibernate. So the way I like to think of it is you're eating a shit ton of those things and you're actually on a cellular level, you're slowing your system down to push it into like a hibernation state. Mm -hmm. So why would you want to do that? Um, Most of them are rancid. I just want to say that I want to talk about the rancidity, but Jessica Ash calling them winter fats just kind of helped click yeah. that in place for me. That slows yeah. everything down. It slows your metabolism down. Yeah. Yeah. So, and the interesting thing about nature too, is it does design things for a reason. So like the nuts and the seeds of most plants is like the plant's baby. That's the most important part of the plants. The plant, it's a, the part the plant wants to protect at all costs. And so it produces polyunsaturated fatty acids partly to protect it. It's a protective, 
ingredient in the thing that will keep us from consuming. It starts to get bitter. It oxidizes really quickly. Animals intuitively wouldn't eat a lot of them like past a certain point. And when you chew them up and eat them, then that plant potentially, if that happened all the time, that plant would just go extinct. And so it, it, interestingly enough in that it, it, the, the highest dietary source of vitamin E, which is one of our, you know, really important antioxidant in the, that humans animals need, it also happens to fall into the like nut and seed category. And that there's a reason for that. Like the plant actually has uh, vitamin E in the same area where it has polyunsaturated fatty acids to preserve, to preserve that seed. So it won't go, it won't oxidize and go rancid as quickly. So, so it's just an interesting thing to note that like nature really does know what it's doing and it, it sets that seed up to last longer so that that plant can continue to, you know, evolve. And the problem is, is that for one, now we have industrialization where we don't even think twice about the fact that we're growing these nuts and seeds in mass quantities from all over the world, shipping them and eating them all year round in mass quantities. They're being promoted as health, healthy fats and like healthy snacks. And, and then there's an extreme, you know, there's this extreme that we're all going to where we're replacing all of our traditional foods with nut versions and <laughs> seed versions and calling this a healthier alternative. So there's that whole thing. And then there's the oils, which is like a whole nother level. And that's, there's so many problems with these oils that it's like, I don't even know where I could begin, but they are a product of industrialization. Like we did not have any of these things before the industrial revolution. And then you can, you know, and they all have an interesting history. Like as someone who was raised by a journalist and just has that kind of interest in stories, the story behind things, I, you know, I've spent a good amount of time looking into the story behind Crisco, the story behind margarine, the story behind cottonseed oil, the story behind canola or grapeseed, rapeseed. And they're all, um, big cash crops for industries and for like specific people who, you know, entrepreneurs and people who developed them. And we have all been just like experimented on with these oils that have been, you know, proven to be, you know, they can be produced in mass amounts from these crop specific crops. Usually they're like large genetically modified monocrops with lots of heavily sprayed with pesticides. You can get them without these days, but it's like, honestly, it doesn't make any difference because they're toxic anyways. And then they are easy to produce in mass and turned into these oils that are touted as heart healthy. And again, like you can look at the history and the politics and the economics of it, and it's just complete, it's complete hogwash. And so in the, you know, around when Ansel Keys, you know, published his study and it, be, it influenced on heart health and it influenced the dietary guidelines. And we all as Americans, this was in the seventies, stopped eating all of the saturated fat. We started replacing our fat with these vegetable oils. And so they have made their way into every facet of the food chain. And that and, study, by the way, has been totally overturned at this point. Like, Oh yeah. The, yeah. It's, it definitely has. I mean, study that changed the way Americans eat really profoundly. Yeah. And it, it yeah, it, it still gets quoted. It's still, I mean, there's a lot of people that don't understand that that that's bogus science that has been disproven, but it's still, it's still, it's one of those things that myths can be circulated for decades. And, and what, what was the conclusion of his study that so many people bought into? Cause the government bought into it. The conclusion of his study was that saturated fat contributes to atherosclerosis and heart attacks and arterial, you know, like all the problems that we were having with heart attacks, we were having like an epidemic of heart attacks, cardiovascular disease and stuff. And he had this theory, which again, this is not really good science when you develop a theory and attach yourself to it and then cater all of your research to, to coming to proving your theory right. Like he specifically um, left out points of data that he had collected that went against the theory that he was trying to prove. 
And there's a lot of this, you know, like if you look at the blue zones, you know, uh, forget uh, Dan Butner does the same thing. Like he connects all these centurion cultures, but he leaves out a shit ton of centurion cultures that eat lots of meat. So like <laughs> animal food. So he kind of like wanted to see that it's a similar thing of like the easiest explanation you can find that will accept, you know, will, that will be sold to people. Since the seventies, Americans, I mean, it's, this is a global issue now, this is happening all over, but Americans have drastically declined their, consu- like lowered their consumption of all saturated fats, animal fats, and have like dramatically increased their consumption of these vegetable oils. They're in, because they are so cheap and easily to, easy to produce, they are in pretty much every, even like, you know, quote unquote health foods. I've done a few experiments where like, like a few months ago, I was really lazy and didn't want to prepare dinner. And so I went to this like local health food store, one of the best health food stores in the area and looked through their frozen food section. And I couldn't find one thing that didn't have poofas in it. It was really, it was, it was unfortunate. It was like, it was one of those things where you just cave and eat it or. Yeah. Well, even our, our co-op here, which is an amazing natural foods co-op. I have been looking at their pre-prepared deli foods lately. All Mm -hmm. of them have poofas in them. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big thing to like open your eyes to. And I did say, which they cook in house every day, fresh. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's everywhere. It's not, not to mention everything in the chip aisle, pretty much all the processed food you eat. Yeah. We're talking about like seed and nut oils mostly when we talk about poofas. Is that right? Again, they are in nuts and seeds. And I genuinely like tend to believe that we eat too many nuts and seeds and that a lot of women who have metabolic issues could benefit from removing them for a while, from, for a while. I used to eat a bunch of them and then nuts and seeds and chocolate are two things that I know have noticed a dramatic decrease in desire to eat them. Once I increased like dairy and like getting like those fat soluble vitamins and like that, just like fatty nourishing whole foods from animal foods, I have a lot less and even like increasing glucose and carb consumption. I just have a lot less desire to eat them. Like they're, they just, they don't really feel nourishing anymore. Yeah, um, it's really when you're undernourished, just but like vegan raw food, people who just go crazy yeah. on the nut butters because totally, they're, they're yeah, you're like that you're, fat, but it's, it's got too many negative consequences when you could just be getting it from animal foods. Totally. Yeah. So, so then the nuts and the seeds is like a whole different topic, but the, the, the seed oils, Polyunsaturated fatty acids are very volatile. They, even if you were consuming them in this really high quality source and you were refrigerating them or something, our bodies sit at a hot 98.6 degrees. And those oils are not designed to remain stable in a 98.6 degree environment. And so as soon as we put them into our bodies, we are setting ourselves up for increased oxidative stress. And that oxidative stress from these, these oils has been clinically linked. There's so much data to everything from like disrupting insulin signaling from specific brain functions, from impacting neurotransmitter production, impacting are the ways that our body uses sex hormones. And so it will often increase a lot of things will go hand in hand. Like for instance, we also store them. So like we store fatty acids. And so a lot of us have high amounts of PUFAs in our systems that we actually have to spend years clearing out. So like your body needs to actually clear those out because it changes the fatty acid ratios. It will impact the way that your your body is affected by the sun. So like, this is another big one that people are starting to talk about more that I'm really happy. I'm starting to see this talked about more is that we have this huge fear of the sun and of this, this, the damage that the sun causes to our skin. 
but the way that we respond to the, the sun is going to be largely contingent upon the in our internal environment. And so sure you can go out and fry yourself by just being in the sun all the time, being indoors and then going out and being outdoors in direct sunlight all the time, kind of, you know, a way that's not very mindful, but I spend so much time in the sun and I have noticed that I don't really burn all that easily because I don't consume those oils. I don't put them on my skin and my skincare products. And so I think I did a lot of damage to my skin early in life because I ate a bunch of those oils, was raised on that, on, on a standard American diet, a lot of fried food, and then was out in the sun surfing all the time, like just basically burning myself all the time. But I think that the, there's just a wide, a, like a seriously wide range of problems that are created by eating these oils and everyone is eating them because they're in everything. And so it's really a serious paradigm shift for people to start. Like I did a podcast last week with some friends, actually a, a girl from Grass Valley. And um, we talked about the, the oil situation. And then the next day she sent me this voice message and she was like, you know, me and my friend were in the health food store and we couldn't find <laughs> She was in like the cutest little health food store and she, in my area and she, they couldn't find anything without the oils. And then she went to the coffee shop and she was standing in line waiting for her coffee. And the woman in front of her, this made me so happy. The woman in front of her was like, do you guys have, they had organic whole milk. And the woman in front of her was like, yay, I'm so glad you have organic. I would way rather have conventional though, than one of these seed oils that just has vegetable oil in it. And then the guy behind the counter, the barista was like, what really? And then he pulls out and they start looking at the different <laughs> seed oils and tripping out over it. And I'm like, yes, like it makes me happy to know that that's a conversation that's being had mm. because everyone is just like drinking all this like processed nut milk and oat milk. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, it's just horrible. It's got sunflower. Every one of them has like sunflower or safflower oil. Read in the it. ingredients, everyone. Read ingredients. Yeah. You will be it's shocked great. at what is in the quote healthy oat milk, etc. Yeah, that, that's been a shift for me too over the last few years with every now and then I'll get an espresso drink. And I used to get the milk alternatives because I didn't want to be drinking pasteurized milk. At home, we drink raw milk. And then I was recently like, I would so much rather drink pasteurized whole organic milk than these like disgusting seed oils. And also even like the healthiest, most farm to table health conscious restaurants are cooking with these seed oils because they're so much cheaper to buy so yeah. that I will notice it after I go out to eat. I'm like, Oh gosh, what did I just eat? Um, yeah. Yeah. It's an issue. They're also, I, these seed oils are a byproduct. They're like toxic sludge byproduct of these huge monocrops that are being used to make other processed foods. And it was straight up industry being like, hmm, can we profit off of this instead of throwing it out? Oh, yes, we can. Yeah, that was how like Crisco got its beginnings is cotton seed oil. And cotton seed oil was also used for like, Ray Pete talked about this because he's a painter and um, it was used for like um, as a paint thinner. And um, I mean, it's just that if you hear the backstory on these things, you're like, and the only way that people would consume it is if it was heavily processed to the point where you can't smell it or taste it. Because mm. if you really actually knew what it really smelled and tasted like, like in a, in a less processed form, you wouldn't, there's no way in hell you'd want to put that in your body. Yeah. And so, wow. Yeah. These are things that re we really need to start thinking about. Like they're just not on people's radar. And it's like the fats. Fats are so important because they do play a role in the energy production process at the level of the cell. And so if you're not eating quality fats, 
if you're eating fats that are easily oxidized, that are unstable, that are causing oxidation in your body, you're going to create a lot of problems for yourself. Like at the energy, at the level of the cell, at the level of, I mean, you're going to have increased inflammation, increased inflammation will increase, uh, will, you know, lower thyroid thyroid. Well, will increase cholesterol levels. So there's a lot of people, 50% of the population in the U S over the age of 50 is on a statin. I think it might actually be higher than 50%. So that's like a, an epidemic of people with high serum cholesterol levels that are not even getting the medical system isn't even questioning why is the cholesterol high in the blood? Like, what does that mean? And it's like the cholesterol is high in the blood because the body is producing more cholesterol and is unable to use it properly. And the reason why the body produces and increases cholesterol is because of increased oxidation and, and inflammation that it's trying to combat. And so I totally want to talk about oxidation. So I'm going to read, I took a screenshot of <laughs> One of Jessica Ash's um, stories this morning to stimulate this conversation between us. So she writes, when iron, PUFAs, estrogen, oxygen, heat, UV light, and the water in our cells interact, it creates a phenomenon that is almost identical to rust. And then she's showing photos of melasma age spots and liver spots on people's skin. And so I became aware of oxidation that can happen in the body through Morley Robbins work, who I found through you. And so let's talk about, then we can kind of look at oxidation in different ways, but the way the body can rust from the inside out when specifically I'm interested in when there's too much iron and then like this interplay of iron, magnesium and copper, which I know is a huge subject, but yeah, my goal is to get people to like pay attention to this and take this information wherever they can get it. Yeah, totally. And it's definitely not an area where I'm like total expert. Yeah, it's a real problem. I think the iron conversation is an uh, is one that's I I would say the iron conversation is as damaging like the ways that we have been led to the things we've been led to believe about iron or to just disregard about iron and the ways we've been consuming it is as damaging as like the the cholesterol saturated fat conversation. Actually probably worse. And so our body is recycles most of its iron. Like we don't actually need that much iron. And we get as infants, we should get a a significant amount of iron when we're breastfeeding from our mom. So we really shouldn't be needing all that much iron. Definitely shouldn't be needing supplemental, supplemental iron from a really young age. So what's happening in this culture though, and has happened for decades is that due to like anemia, basically that was misunderstood by the medical system early on, we have been getting fortified iron, like the lowest quality iron in our foods for most of us for decades, like for, you know, most of our lives growing up, if you grew up eating absolutely any processed food, especially like breakfast cereals and juices and milk and all that stuff was fortified. And so you're getting this excess iron in your system. Your body cannot handle iron well, unless it has copper specifically to help regulate it. And so iron's job is to carry oxygen to different parts of the body that needs it. And the way that iron works, like if it doesn't have copper to help it carry that oxygen, then what happens is it starts to sink into different tissues. It starts to like unbind from the blood where it normally would be circulating. And it it's effects on the tissues when it binds the tissues, when it like becomes, I'm trying to think of the word embedded, embedded in the tissues. And then it combines with oxygen, which I mean, we're, we are a species where we, we operate through aerobic, like we, we absolutely need oxygen to function. And so we're going to have oxygen in our bodies. And when it combines with oxygen, 
it will start to quote unquote rust. And so that's what oxidative damage is, as you can think of it. I think that's a really great explanation for those of us that are just not scientific minded or don't really understand what's happening in the body. It's a really great visual to just think of like a rusted, anything that you can think of that's metal, it's rusted that you've seen that was just like sitting out like a fence or something that was just sitting out and exposed to sunlight, radiation from the sun and, you know, water that rains and, and then oxygen it's rusted. And so that is actually literally what's happening. Well, kind of literally what's happening inside of our bodies to our tissues. And a lot of this is simply because we don't have the minerals to regulate the iron that we're, that we have in our bodies. And so we, the iron becomes dysregulated. It stops recycling and recirculating as it should. And so things like copper and magnesium are absolutely essential to make this whole process work properly. I have a question. So do we, as women, do we not lose iron when we bleed to the point that we need to think about replenishing it? We lose iron, but we also absorb iron like twice as well as men do. Like we naturally are designed to absorb iron way, way better than men are. So like also in the seventies, we stopped testing iron in the same way that we used to. So we used to test iron but we test, we test iron in the fair and fair. We look at iron and that's, a, that's a storage. Like that's where we store iron. It's not actually how it's being utilized and circulated throughout the body. And so, so there's tissue bound iron when you have excess, which most of us do. And then there's blood bound iron, which is the iron that's actually doing its job of oxygenating the body. Yeah. And most people, like most of us have way more um, iron in our tissues than we do in our blood, like dramatically more. And so you won't know that though. Like there's no way for you to know that. And iron is um, one of the like number one, there's no way to know that from the test, the ferritin test that most doctors offer people. And so those tests show that someone is anemic, even though they have a ton of iron stored in their tissues. Yeah. And it won't like, again, like iron is, is one of the most, like it's one of the top foods for pathogens. Like it's something that pathogens Mm -hmm. thrive on. And so your body is really smart and it knows like, especially if you have infection, which so many of us have a dis- have a higher inflammation levels. We have infection in various parts of our body. Um, we have damaged tissue from all this oxidation. And so um, your body is smart and it knows like to keep the iron in your blood to a, to a lower level because it doesn't really want to have that food for pathogens circulating in your system all the time. So it will actually pull that iron into your tissues as a way of trying to protect you. So this is, it's just, I have so many women that come to me and say, I'm anemic here are my labs, look at my labs. And it's like, well, they like they're, this doesn't really tell me very much. Like, it just tells me that you don't have very much iron circulating in your blood and you have all these symptoms of like low energy, low energy production. And a lot of it is because we're not regulating iron. Well, we've had way too much low quality iron being consistently dumped into our system for years. We don't have proper amounts of, of copper. And like bioavailable copper that you can get through like whole foods, um, as well as like, because copper has to be activated and it has to be like used in a certain way. And we need retinol in order to, to like activate copper. And so there's just these nutrients that we absolutely have to have for these processes to work together in symbiosis and magnesium as well is really, really important to like keep the effects of iron in check because, because every time that our body produces energy, it creates a toxic byproduct. Like it creates a waste and exhaust that your body then has to process and get rid of. And part of the job of magnesium is to buffer that and to help the body more efficiently get rid of this, get rid of the byproducts. And so we're all deficient in magnesium. Like everyone knows, I think everyone knows that seems to be like a pretty general understanding across the health world that we are. And so 
if you don't have enough magnesium, you don't have enough copper, your system isn't going to handle iron well, but you consist, if you're consistently putting more in your system, then the problem only gets compounded. So most people are actually iron toxic. I think, I think like pretty soon everyone will know that just like now everyone knows that most of us are magnesium deficient. There's this huge iron toxicity problem. And I know you and I have both shared these videos online. This is so crazy. People will take just any mainstream cereal off the shelf, put it in a plastic bag, or there's different ways you can do this, but put it in a big Ziploc bag with water. And so it becomes all mushy. And then you can take a magnet and hold it to the surface of that plastic bag and all these little iron filings. They're visible. Visible iron filings will attached to, to the bag on the other side of where the magnet is. So this, and this is also like a waste product, right? These iron, they literally came from chunks of iron industry. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it really, it really is like so, so many things like this in the industrial food system and have been like, they have like a story of just like, well, what do we do with this? Like, let's market it. And we can even like create we can create a reason for people to need it. <laughs> and we can pay for the science that tells them that this is legit. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so you, would, you would never eat these little iron filings if they were on a plate in front of you, but you're eating them if you're eating any sort of iron fortified yeah. processed food. Yeah. And I, again, like clearly my understanding of the process is like the science around iron accumulation and detoxification and still, I'm still like learning, like it's kind of um, crude if that's the right word, but intuitively I've known for years. Like I even, I was, when I was vegan, I was, you know, quote unquote anemic and I was told to take iron. So I would take really high quality vegan iron supplements and it didn't really seem to do much. And then I just stopped. And I realized at some point like that, that's not a good idea. Like that intuitively does not feel like a good idea. And then everyone was like, oh, you should use cast irons because you'll get iron through cast irons. And and I was like, why would I want to get a mineral that's that important from a pan? Like that's for some reason that just doesn't, that doesn't sit well with me. Like intuitively it didn't make sense. And so sometimes with certain, uh, with certain things with, within the health world that now are starting to make more sense scientifically for me, because I come from a right brain background. Like I am a pretty right brain person who's starting to hang out more in the left, you know, like part of my brain. And so some of these things intuitively didn't make sense. And it took me some time to like actually learn, understand the scientific mechanisms as to why they don't make sense. And Iron is the num- is one of the most prevalent elements in the planet. Like a large percentage, like the idea that we would all have iron deficiencies doesn't really make sense. And Morley brings this up. Like he is a really great, does a really great job of like approaching the larger scale issues and even like going back through history and looking at life's relationship with these elements and like how iron and oxygen interact and how cholesterol, the role that cholesterol plays. And it's really, really brilliant. And it's a lot to wrap your head around. It's like super dense, but it makes so much sense. Like it does not make sense. If you zoom out a little bit and you look at iron's role and like just in the, the whole planet, like why would we be deficient in this? And then it's like, no, actually there's a lot of data showing that we're not deficient in it. We're not regulating it well. And so so what, what we need to do, because I will, I've made a post about this and I got a lot of people being like, well, the thing I'm confused because the things that you're recommending that I consume to get more copper so that I can better regulate my iron also has iron in them. Like, you know, shellfish or organ meats, you can get copper from whole food vitamin C from things like citrus, but um, the animal sources of copper are going to have iron as well. And what I say is that like, avoiding iron entirely is like impossible. Like it's, it's going to be really hard to eat well and avoid all 
sources of iron. That's not the point. You can still consume small amounts of it from whole foods because your body actually manages the whole food form fairly well. There's a lot more copper in things like liver than there is iron. And the problem is, is that we strayed from that so long ago to where we weren't just consuming whole foods forms of these nutrients that tend to work in symbiosis. We started eating these fortified foods and then taking, taking the supplements when we would have, you know, we would look at our ferritin and it would be low. So my suggestion to people is to avoid iron supplementation at all costs and to avoid fortified foods. Like a few months ago, I bought kind of on the fly and didn't really look at it. I bought some white rice and I was in a hurry and I got home and realized the white rice was fortified and it had like folic acid, had a bunch of synthetic B vitamins. It had iron and it had calcium. And I was like, I don't know where, what the, like, and so I had, I soaked the rice for, I still didn't really eat very much of it, but I soaked it really, really well and boiled it and then rinsed it. Cause I figured it was maybe like, um, powdered and then put into the rice. Mm -hmm. It was like coated on it, you know, I have no idea. Like white rice should not have iron and B vitamins. Like that's a bad idea. So, but I was like, Oh shit, this is a thing that even I forget sometimes, you know, like you can't, I never would have thought that that they would just be adding grains. And I think partly they do that because there's a lot more people that don't eat red meat and that don't eat animal foods. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, well, let's fortify white rice because they need to get it somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I think this just like, this just reminds me and kind of hits home this point that we evolved to get nutrients from whole foods. And there is trade-offs and problems when you try to get your nutrients, synthetic nutrients in isolation from lab. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that there's not a place and a time for supplementation. Like there's definitely like, certain supplements that I do recommend that we take, but there's so many um, supplements out there and nutrients that I see recommended all over the health world by so many influencers and experts like zinc and, you know, ascorbic acid, which is like synthetic form of vitamin C that's not, doesn't even have, it doesn't have the same effect at all in the body and synthetic B vitamins, vitamin D, they have a lot of problems. They create a lot of problems in the body and compete with other nutrients. And so yeah, Morley Robbins really goes into that too in the book, um, Cure Your Fatigue, where you and I have been learning about this iron, magnesium, copper balance, the issues with most vitamin Cs and vitamin Ds. That really, I was aware of the ascorbic acid issue, but the vitamin D thing like sent me down some podcast rabbit holes for sure. Yeah. I'll say here too, for anyone who is iron toxic or thinks they might be, that Morley Robbins' appearances on the strong sisters. YouTube channel, I think is really interesting where he helps them like read their labs and they even donate blood now to pull excess iron out of their body. Yeah. That's a common thing in the pro metabolic space. Yeah. I've been thinking like, I don't know if I'm iron toxic, but now I'm like, holy shit. I mean, I did eat cereal every single day of my life until I was like 25 years old. And something you said just like, I was like, oh yeah, that's an issue for me. Yeah. I think also just to help people like limit their stress, because this can be an overwhelming topic and it can leave people feeling like, well, I'm just fucked. Yeah. And I think it's helpful to be like, well, instead of focusing on ways that we can like go through some serious cleanse to get it all out of your system, just look at how you can increase these other nutrients, which is what he does a really great job of helping people um, understand is just increasing your bioavailable copper, increasing your magnesium, increasing like all of your trace minerals. I've started to 
offer hair tissue and mineral analysis to my clients and have also like taken all of his recommended labs because there's labs that you get from your doctor that are just oftentimes useless. And then there's all the labs you really should be getting done. And I've created a lab list that I sent to my clients. Some of them have doctors that will actually do that, like actually order these labs. So a lot of them, I had a client recently that like cut and pasted her response from her doctor's office. It was basically just like, it's ridiculous. It was like, unless you have a specific diagnosis, here are the diagnosis we can try to find for you or something, you know, like, like you have to have a very specific diagnosis for me to be willing to order these extra labs for you. Mm. And yeah, I mean, that says a lot about, you know, what's wrong with the way that medicine is practiced. But if you can get those labs done, it can be really helpful to understand or a hair tissue mineral analysis to understand where your minerals are at. So you can understand because it's not even just about like how much minerals you have in your body. It's about, again, how are they working together? And especially like, you know, magnesium and calcium work together, iron and copper work together and uh, zinc and copper work together. And they can also like disrupt each other if one of them gets higher. I mean, you, you could say this with like hormones too, like they, you know, they work together and can become disrupted when one of them is. So what Jessica Ash was getting at, and she's way, she's brilliant. I learned so much from her. She really understands the science on a level I don't. And, but what she was getting at is that when your tissues when your tissues become like when you have damaged tissues and they're disrupted and they're not working well at the cellular level, like the, the energy is low, inflammation is high, oxidative stress is high. There's a, there's a combination of things that tend to be contributing to that and tend to like be more likely to accumulate. So estrogen, iron, there's like certain like PUFAs that will all, all they all kind of work together to, and like, if you have estrogen dominance, you're more likely to have you're more likely to, to be sensitive to iron dysregulation, like to the iron in the tissue. And, and same with like, if you consume a lot of PUFAs, you're more likely to be estrogen dominant. Like it's, your, your, your tissues will actually naturally hold on to more estrogen, accumulate more estrogen, and they will have a, you'll have a harder time excreting it and detoxing it if the PUFAs are high in your system. And it's just something that like, I've been learning more about and it just kind of blows my mind. Yeah. So like wrapping my head around the science of it. Yeah. Um, I want to echo back too to what you said about Morley Robbins and his understanding of these basic elements. I think it's really important to remember that these are all just, they're minerals, they're elements. They're like the building blocks of the universe. They're not just something that go into the human body. They're not just things that come from pill bottles. Like probably when most people think of like magnesium, they think of a pill bottle, but this is you know, a mineral that's like abundant on the earth. And these come from the cosmos. They all came from stars that exploded as supernovas and ended up in our bodies and on our earth. And I just find that holding that like bigger cosmic deep time perspective helps me kind of get out of my head a little bit. Yeah. And that was a point that you brought up in the notes. You said, um, cause it, you know, essential nutrients are essential because we have to get them from the outside world. And that's like a, I, I still, I mean, I've been studying nutrition for years and I still trip out on that. Like this fact that we have essential nutrients, which is essentially, which means we have to get chemicals from our external environment input from our external environment for our bodies to work at all. Like mm-hmm. that's, inter, that's like, like talk about interconnection, right? Like, and we evolved like, and that's kind of an evolutionary perspective is like, we have these needs for a reason. We evolved with them because they served us. So we have not yet evolved to a place where we haven't outsourced our needs to the, to our environment. We are so connected. We are so in reliance with the earth and the sun and the minerals and the elements that we cannot survive. We will start to deteriorate without getting these things from those external sources. We have not evolved past that yet. So this idea 
there's just like this futurist idea that a lot of people have, or that like, I think is like a way a mindset or approach to life that more and more modern people take that we can just like outsource all these things to technology. And I think that's really um, misguided and it's like causing a lot of problems. <laughs> um, that, that part of my notes, that was a direct quote from your course. Oh, was it? Awesome. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I, you spoke it and I, I paused it. And <laughs> out. Yeah. I'm kind of coming to this place of understanding, although it echoes back to what I was first learning when I stopped being vegan 15 years ago, Mm. but I'm finding it really helpful right now that basically any animal food we eat is going to be more nutritious than basically any plant food we eat. And it's, do you agree with that? Yeah. With the exception that like we need glucose and you know, dairy is the only animal food that has, that actually has all three mm. macronutrients in it. So I think it's important to, to just keep that in mind that like plants provide us with an excellent source of, of glucose. Right. Yeah. And I'm just trying to think of what, let, let me put this into like kind of the big picture thinking that I've been working with lately, which is that, okay. So the sun is the source of all life on the planet and the sun is what makes plants grow and plants do this amazing thing called photosynthesis where they can turn the sun into their food and then different kinds of plants evolve and grow and they all have their different nutrients and anti-nutrients, their different medicines, and we can eat those plants and we can get certain nutrients from them. Mm-hmm. But when animals, especially ruminants, eat those plants, they turn them into super nutritious foods for us to eat when we eat the animal's Mm -hmm. body. So it's like the energy of the sunlight gets processed first through the plant, then through the animal. And then that is the most nutritious thing that as homo sapiens, we can take into our bodies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I genuinely believe that. I think that, I mean, that makes the most sense. It makes the most sense definitely with protein, but I mean, there's so many nutrients that you can't really get that well, if if at all from plants. Mm -hmm. And so the or animals even can they're in such smaller numbers, such smaller numbers. And I think it's important just to keep in mind. This is something that I keep in mind constantly is like, most people do not have, like, do not have the capacity to get all of the nutrients from their foods that they, they could, because their, their system is not working at its, that's just, I think a baseline for a lot of people. There's also a lot of things that influence that like your genetics, there's certain genetic markers. For instance, a, a big one that I, I've talked about several times and have a personal experience with is vitamin A. So you can't actually get the active form of vitamin A, retinol, which is so crucial in these processes that Morley Robbins writes about, like activating copper and util- utilizing it properly. And you can't get that from plants. So there's, and, and this is really bad nutrition. Like there's a lot of mainstream nutrition that gets taught that's just really poorly taught. Like it's, it's, it's not true or it's incomplete. We're like, you'll buy a bag of carrots and then on the back, it'll say vitamin A so much percent. And it's like, there's no vitamin A in carrots. Like people are walking around eating carrots thinking they're getting vitamin A heard that so many times. And that was me like throughout my whole stint in in veganism. Like I ate really, really well from like, from the perspective of like someone who's a vegan and I ate, I juiced, I had like a really expensive juicer. I juiced all the time. I ate lots of salads and, um, and I was, you know, I still have like yellow, (laughs) a yellow tint to my skin because I was not really metabolizing and converting the carotene from all of the, the carotenoids from all of the vegetables that I was eating. And what I came to find out once I started eating animals again, and then got my genetic testing done is that I do not have the specific genetic marker that, that really allows for, and the, that conversion to make that conversion well. And so 
And then you take, I forget what it was, Chris Masterjohn a while back talked about how it's like 20% of the population actually has the capacity to, or maybe it was 20% that doesn't. I, I Don't quote me on that, but like it was a large percent, I think it was 20 or 40% that does not have, that either does or does not have the capacity based on their genetic markers to convert the carotenoids to retinol well. And then you take the fact that so many people have digestive issues or they're not eating it properly because it's a fat soluble vitamin that can only be converted when you're eating with fat. So if you're walking around drinking carrot juice or eating carrots, you're not going to be getting any of that. So there's a lot of people, a lot of people that are deficient in this incredibly important nutrient, this retinol. And that's needed for um, not just for the energy production processes, but for utilization of a thyroid hormone, production of thyroid hormone, um, production of sex hormones, you know, utilization and proper utilization of cholesterol, our skin health, our eye health. So many things are re- reliant or depend on some level of retinol and the functions that it, the mechanisms that it participates in. And so, so many people are deficient in retinol because they are only eating plants, you know, or they're not eating enough animal foods or they're not eating any liver or any egg yolks or like things that butter things that uh, it would live at, you know, that it lives in. And this is just one of many things, you know, cholesterol is another one, like it's huge. And if you're vegan, you're not getting any cholesterol and our, our liver, a healthy, high functioning liver should generate like 80% of our own cholesterol. So that alone should be like, okay, if it's so bad, why does our body <laughs> create so much of it itself? Right. And but how many people's livers are not already overtaxed in this culture? And so that's putting a lot of burden on your liver to produce that much of your cholesterol. And then you still have to get the last 20% from your food. But if you're vegan, then you're not getting 20% from your food. You're not getting any from your food because there's no cholesterol in plants. Then you end up with, you know, all of these things that rely on cholesterol that are not able to happen over time. That can really, really start to, there was two things that you mentioned that I'm just wondering if you wanted to touch on. And one of them was stress is an underlying factor in all illness. And then the ideological, oh, eat to enjoy, nourish, repair, and not for ideology. Is that another quote from? That is another quote. Yeah. Why don't you just read that again? We'll just leave that there. Okay. So yeah. So, oh, it's one of my, I think it's one of my principles in my course is to eat, to enjoy, nourish, and to repair and not for ideology. And this is a big one, just like to give a quick a quick explanation is just so many of us are eating for reasons that have nothing to do with enjoying our food and then what we actually need to be eating to nourish ourselves and to repair just these you know modern disruptions caused by stress and so we're basing our food choices on unexamined ideologies which are so easy that's such an easy thing to do because we all have biases and we all like you know want to frame things want to have overly simplified explanations for why to do things in life we're not taught critical thinking or to like think things through. Yeah. And we talk about this specifically more in the Patreon bonus too. Yeah. And then the other thing was information foraging. I don't know if you wanted to. Uh, I mean, we kind of talked about that in the Patreon too. Yeah. We did. You know, you, you kind of immediately know when you hear that phrase, what it means. We just all, yeah. they are information foragers and it's from our deep evolutionary past, but because there's so much conflicting information today, it can really cause so much overwhelm. Yeah. Well, let's, I I think we should wrap up. You really go into stress in your course. So we can just leave that there. Like I think almost all of us underestimate under, I know I do. I know I do (laughs) what stress is doing to us. And like you said earlier, stress really does affect women differently. 
Um, so that, yeah. that's a major component of your course and people can find that there. I, I was wanting to, since you brought up carrots, just like leave people with one really awesome thing they can do to really dramatically start changing their health as it's done for me, which is raw carrot salad or just raw carrot. I was, I, I started reading Kate Deering's book last night, heal your metabolism. And I was really comforted when she said like, you know, if you don't have the time to do the salad that day, just eat the carrot. I was like, okay. Okay. Yeah. That's what I do a lot of the time, actually. Yeah. That's what I was doing. And then I like, I don't know, thought that I needed all the other stuff, but anyway, why don't we talk about Ray Pete's raw carrot salad and why it's so helpful? Yeah. So he used to have, that was actually one of the little nuggets that I took from my early work back in 2012 with Jeannie and Josh Rubin was like, they had me eating a raw carrot supplementally. And I was like, this is weird, but it kind of felt, and I didn't continue it long enough for me to see the benefits, you know, like I would be inconsistent about it. So you have to be, if you want to get the benefits from it, you really do need to be doing it every day. Um, and so what he discovered was that because he would have, he would have migraines and he started eating raw carrots and the migraines went away. And he discovered that raw carrots, and this is actually other people have talked about this too, when it comes to hormones who, you know, researchers who talk about estrogen detox, the three stages of estrogen detoxification, our body will accumulate estrogen. It's like something that happens both men and women. It's not just a female hormone and we're bombarded by estrogen in this culture. It's also in a kind of in a stressful, excitatory stress, a sex hormone. And so we do tend to produce more if we're already dealing with high stress levels or high oxidation in our bodies, we will often have more estrogen that accumulates and carrots have, especially the fiber on the outside of the carrot. So if you're going to be doing this, you don't want to be peeling your carrots. You don't want to buy baby carrots. You want to buy, buy like full carrots and eat them or shred them. One of the reasons he in, in, encourages a carrot salad is because you'll be putting some kind of fat, like coconut oil or olive oil, which will increase bile production. And so you're actually, there's a combination of just the, the fiber with the fat, and then you put some salt in there and actually can really um, maybe add an extra element to it that wouldn't be there if you were just eating the carrot by itself. Either way, it's clinically linked to, 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 uh, lowered endotoxins. So like byproducts of the digestive process of like bacteria that end up in our stomach and can cause a lot of problems. They just sit there and they can disrupt digestion. They can slow down motility and you will see an accumulation of estrogen alongside that. And so when you eat a raw carrot or a raw carrot salad, it's linked to, it will, it will bind to the estrogens and the endotoxins in your gut and carry them out. It increases bowel movement frequency. Um, it tends to lower people's inflammation in their gut as well as like symptoms of SIBO or IBS or just, you know, any kind of digestive disorder or, or not disorder as much as like symptoms that they have from slow motility can cause a lot of problems. Like a lot of people who have SIBO and IBS and stuff is literally just because that electrical current that's carrying their food down moves has been, has been disrupted from stress or, you know, nutrient deficiencies, and then shit just sits there. And when stuff is moving too slow in your intestines, that's when bacteria starts to build up, waste starts to build up, estrogen starts to build up. And so one of the like easiest, most low, low hanging fruits for addressing this stuff that doesn't involve like, you know, rigid dieting or supplementation is just to eat this raw carrot raw carrot salad every day. And I usually will eat like, I'll either make a salad or I'll eat one or two to two, like large raw carrots. And it's, it's made a huge difference in my, um, digestion, but also my regularity. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, me too. Something. And yeah. I've gotten a few friends doing it in the last month and they're all messaging me like, Oh my gosh, I'm pooping regularly. I'm pooping three times a day. Um, for yeah. me, 
I'm not bloated anymore. When I, when I eat the raw carrot every day, there's no bloating. I can feel the difference that it's making in my intestines, in my digestion. And it's so simple. I love it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's great. It's, and it's one of those things, again, you have to be consistent with it. I think a lot of people don't think it's, we can downplay things that are free or cheap or easy. Yeah. And, um, and so a lot of people are like, oh, that's just, you know, what they're cynical towards it or they don't think they're skeptical towards it. So they don't do it for long enough. And it's one of those things you have to be consistent in yeah. order to see what happens. Yep. Jessica Ash um, was like sharing people's stories that they wrote into her about doing it and just amazing hormonal and digestive benefits. But then a lot of people are like, as soon as I stopped, it stopped, you know, you just have your, your intestines need that every day. Yeah. Um, Okay. Well, let's tell people about your course and any other offerings that you have. I'm super grateful for the course and the ebook. It was, it was funny because I read the ebook like a while ago and then I was watching the course recently and I was like, why isn't she telling me what to eat? You know, that kind of like quick fix mentality. And then I was like, oh no, wait, she did in the ebook. Like that's actually what the ebook was all about. Yeah. I kind of wonder about that too. Like I am still, cause the course is very comprehensive. It's mm-hmm. called habitually healthy and it's, I mean, it's meant to be comprehensive and it's also, you have lifetime access to it and you have lifetime access as it evolves and things, you know, um, lessons continue to get upgraded and uh, updated and stuff. And so that will be an ongoing process of evolving the content and the information, but I didn't actually go into the nutrition until the third module. And so there's a lot of information to go through before you get to the third module and you can jump around if you need to, because it's so big, but I do recommend going from the beginning, you know, kind of chronologically through it so that you can get that information kind of like, I don't know where you are in the course, but Yeah, it it sets the foundation. The first module is like foundations for health. And that goes through all of the like cultural stuff and like diet culture, the food industry. I'm also going to update the food industry lesson because I did not emphasize enough the impacts of fortification. And so that's something that I'm going to be emphasizing more. And it was my first course. And so I definitely learned a lot about recording and how many times I say, um, and you know, little things like that, where you're like, wow, I could improve my, the way I deliver that information. And so continuing to upgrade it. I have found that it, there's just so much information that I have taken in over the years that I apply in my one-on-one private work. And it's really hard to get that all across in my one-on-one private work and not all women can afford it. And so this was a great, this is a great way to, to get that information across to people who already value and benefit from the free content that I provide on my Instagram, for instance, and, but want to go deeper into these topics and learn, you know, basically like learn at their own pace. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, it is available. Like if you, you know, go to my Instagram or you go to my website, it's available, you can purchase it and there's a payment plan. So it's super affordable and it takes you through the foundations. There's a whole portion on stress. Like the whole second module is on stress. The third module body and balance goes through all of the systems in the body, what the metabolism is, you know, stress hormones, sex hormones, thyroid hormones, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot there. Yeah, I, I have it open in front of me right now, and it is super affordable, which I love so much. And I will have the link to it in the show notes here too. 
But yeah, the first module is like unlearning health, an evolutionary lens. Women are not small men. These are the names of the different lessons, self-healing, pro-metabolic, diet recovery. And then there's the whole address the stress second module, which includes like unresolved trauma and brain retraining, existential stress and social media, water and hydration, air, temperature, light, muscles and movement. And then you get into body imbalance, which is really where your expertise in like the female physiology comes into it. Hormones, estrogen, progesterone, feminine care, and abnormal PAPs, PCOS, birth control, endometriosis, blood sugar, etc. And then, yeah, this looks like more what to look for while healing, different phases, three different phases of getting there, shopping, cooking, food prep. And I really love courses that are not just someone talking at the camera. Those can be cool, but these are slide-based. So you're you're getting visuals yeah. as you're listening. I yeah. really, it's so helpful for me to have the visuals of the slide while I'm taking in the information through my ears. Yeah. Yeah. That was, I, I, I thought I was going to be, when I first built the course, I thought it would be me talking. And not only am I like talking in front of a camera is a lot of work. It's a skill that you develop. So it's like more, that's another skill on top of everything else. But also I realized that's a lot of information to convey. And I'm a visual learner. And that's also like reading a script while looking into the camera. I just realized that slides made way more sense. And so I'm a very, and I grew, you know, I work, used to work with children. So I'm very like visual and love children's illustrations and books and stuff. There's just like that. That's how I learn. And I think it's really important to have like a lot of us have a lot of information that's just kind of like floating around. Like we don't really have like a formula or a synthesis of it or a way to apply it or to make sense or the context. And that's what this course was really designed for. It was like so many people have so much information on health and it's not, it's not placed in the right context or it's not understood, understood well enough. Or, you know, a lot of us are sold on courses that are very dialed in, like very specific. And I think that if there's lots of courses out there that you can go and find that are specific to hormones or specific to minerals or specific to PCOS, but I didn't want one to be that. I didn't want to create one that was that specific. I genuinely feel like that's not who I am. I'm someone who's fairly like broad and likes to understand the full picture of things. I get, was given feedback by another woman I partnered with that the course is very intellectual and just meaning like the cultural context and, you know, drawing the different pieces together. And so big big picture stuff that, and I love that. And I think most of my um, listeners like that too. Yeah. So that's definitely something that is unique. You can find other courses on like women's health and stuff, but the big picture stuff and the cultural context and, you know, going into the information foraging and like experiential medicine and all the the various Kruger effect, you're not coddling people. You didn't dumb it down. And if you don't want to watch a certain lesson, you don't have to like, just go for what's there. But, and I also, I always say this, but I love when people make their courses available forever. I, I just, I won't take a course if it's like you lose access after six months. Like, no. Yeah. What happened with with me recently where I purchased something to help me actually was that what helped me build the course that I have now, but Mm -hmm. I lost access to it and I didn't even finish all of her information Yeah, because it took me longer to build the course. It was like, you expect me to build a course in like six months, like right. months. It was like, it took me like six months just to research. Right. Everyone's so busy all the time to expect them to be able to take in all your content in a short period of time. It's just a money grab is all it is. Oh, I'm hoping you'll feel bad when you lose this and buy it again. Yeah. And that really ties into the, like the long-term healing versus quick fix. Like that's something that this, like my approach to healing in in the pro-metabolic space and bioenergetic space in general, the, one of the things that I think has made it 
slower to grow than like paleo or keto or carnivore is that it's really gearing your, it's really gearing people up to take care of themselves long-term and understand that this is not just a diet or like a simple approach. This is a way of caring for yourself and a different view of health Yes, and that takes time. So and something that I hear y'all say too, when we talk about this in the Patreon, but it, it's going to take time to see changes. It takes time to shift your metabolism. This is cell deep stuff. You know, it's not, it's not a quick fix. And I'm also kind of like, well, thank goodness, because it's taking me a long time to absorb all this new information. Mm-hmm. This is a lot, you know, and I, I love how you're so humble about the fact that you're still learning all the time. And I, I always say that I like taking in information in as many ways as possible on a podcast, visually through the screen with the online course, reading a book about it. This is really fundamental paradigm shifting stuff and I want to know it. And so I'm taking my time slowly absorbing it all, knowing that the changes I make are going to be slowly integrated as well. And this isn't a quick fix process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was designed for self-healing. So it's not, it's, I'm not, I'm teaching, I want to teach women how to, to fish, so to speak. Like I don't really want to give them the fish. And I think a lot of women are really, f- women are failed by the healthcare system. Like that's my fundamental belief. And that includes a lot of functional medicine too, unfortunately. And so um, taking more and more of our healthcare into our own health hands, healthcare is self-care is I think the way out, like is the future. And that doesn't mean we won't be hiring experts and people to help us along the way, but it means that a large part of our healing is going to be our own work and our own choices and developing body literacy and stuff. And so that's the the point of the course. Yeah. Um, and then let's talk about the ebook to the reparative eating guide. How many pages is this? This is this is like a minute. No. This yeah, honestly, I that, that's not even so I have another ebook called Nourishing Our Sanity. Like that's one that I was mentioning to you and that's available in, you know, via my Instagram and on my website, but the reparative eating guide, I just created that as a guide to help people kind of make sense of the eating, the way of eating that I promote and why. And so it does break down. It also has professional recipes created by a holistic yeah. chef, which yeah. is awesome because yeah. not my strength to create recipes, but, um, uh, it breaks down the why, like why, like why eat this way? Like why eat like for blood sugar balance? Why eat for, why eat these specific foods? Like, why do I recommend these specific foods? And so it, it really helps people understand, like it's, there's a difference between eating something because it has nutrients in it and eating something because your body can access that nutrients. Mm-hmm. And also like some nutrients are more important than other nutrients, which is why even though there's not like a quote unquote pro metabolic diet, there are certain foods and ways of eating that you will see consistently amongst people within that, uh, that, in that, that niche. And that's because there are foods that are just naturally higher in like, you know, minerals or higher in fat, soluble vitamins or bioavailable protein. And it makes more sense from a stress perspective to be eating foods that are higher in nutrients and lower in, 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 in inhibitors of absorbing those nutrients. It just makes sense that lowers your stress load and your, your body's ability, your, your body's ability to have to or, you know, yeah. need to work. I think that's probably what so many, I mean, I know that's what I'm looking for. Like I said, like, why doesn't she just tell me what to eat? And then I remember that that's what you do in this yeah. ebook. Like I just scrolled to the page, reparative base foods, where you break down the best proteins, fats, and carbs for healing metabolism. Um, and I'm just sure that's a lot of people listening are thinking now too, like, okay, but what do I eat? How do I implement? Um, uh, so I, that's I available like for free. You yeah. can download that. You go to my Instagram, which is where I spend most of my time hanging out on Instagram. I, I have Facebook and a Facebook group and a Facebook page. And 
I just, I have to consistently remind myself to use it. Yeah. No, I never post on my Facebook page anymore at all. So, but I have a link in my bio and Instagram where you can access that. It's free, you know, so. Well, it's KimberMalden.com and I'll also put it in my show notes here. Yeah. Uh, So thanks. Thanks for nudging me to take the first step. If y'all liked this, check out our bonus Patreon conversation and I'll link to your Instagram and website and everything in the show notes. Thank you, Kimber. Thanks, Amber. It was a good talk. It was a great talk. Okay, so again, you can find links to Kimber's two free ebooks, Reparative Eating Guide and Nourishing Our Sanity, as well as the link to her online course, Habitually Healthy, in the show notes below. I'm going to read to you a bit about um, Habitually Healthy. This course is for you if you can imagine having a comprehensive strategy at your fingertips that covers all aspects of health that you'll need in order to care for your unique female body, mind, and spirit. If you can imagine developing the context and the wisdom to discern which health information is actually relevant to your body and circumstances so you can focus on what really matters for your healthcare work. Gaining the body literacy and trust in yourself to know what your health needs are more than institutions, authorities, and biased ideologies that we get trained to outsource our well-being to. And if you can imagine saying goodbye to quick fixes and oversimplified solutions and hello to an approach that's going to help you build true health for life. Why cater your healthcare to your female body? So these are four mind-blowing statistics about women's health that will have you saying, why haven't I heard this before? Women weren't included in medical research studies until 1991. So research prior to this was conducted on men's bodies and applied to women's health, despite having very different metabolic systems and needs. It was reported in 2005 that 8 out of 10 prescription drugs were withdrawn from the U.S. market because of women's health issues. This represents an enormous waste of research money as a consequence of neglecting gender research, a big problem that still exists in 2021 in nutritional, 2022, in nutritional epidemiology and exercise physiology as well. Today, 75% of all autoimmune cases affect women specifically, and many of these conditions go undiagnosed or misdiagnosed for years, in part because our female hormones are tightly linked to our immune systems. Over 65% of U.S. women 15 to 49 are on birth control. That's crazy. With the pill, insertion devices, and sterilization being the most popular options, while the long-term health consequences of these are not being disclosed to women when they choose these life-altering methods of contraceptive. We talked about that on this podcast, the episode with Dr. Elizabeth Wade. I forget which number it is, but you can look for Elizabeth Wade. So what does this all mean? Well, if you're online these days, as most of us are, as you obviously are, then you know how easy it is to feel confused about healthcare. Your confusion is the result of a noisy culture that caters to the appearance of health more than to health itself. Kimber and I really talk about that in the Patreon bonus. Your confusion is the result of developing within a culture that caters to men's bodies and calls this progress for women. Your confusion has snowballed after years of health authorities with misaligned incentives misleading you about what health is, and your confusion can be overcome by adopting self-care as health care, which is what this course is all about. 
Okay, so those are Kimber's words from, you know, the the landing page for Habitually Healthy, which you can find at the link below, but there's more. I'm not going to read it all to you. There's also a little video you can watch to learn more about the course. It's very affordable and has just been, like I said, an amazing um, resource library for me as I incorporate this new framework into my life. So check it out. And I wish you wish you so much abundant health and energy, which this is all about while you are eating really, really yummy food. Thank you for taking these medicine stories in. I hope they inspire you to keep walking the mythic path of your own unfolding self. I love sharing information and will always put any relevant links in the show notes. You can find past episodes, my blog, and our handmade herbal medicines at mythicmedicine.love. We've got reishi, lion's mane, elderberry, mugwort, yarrow, redwood, body oils, an amazing sleep medicine, heart medicine, earth essences, so much more, more than I can list there, mythicmedicine.love. While you're there, check out my quiz, which healing herb is your spirit medicine? It's fun and lighthearted, but the results are really in-depth and designed to bring you into closer alignment with both the medicine that you're in need of and the medicine that you already carry and can bring to others. If you love the show, please consider supporting it at patreon.com slash medicine stories. It is so worth your while. There are dozens and dozens of killer rewards there. And I've been told by many folks that it's the best Patreon out there. We've got ebooks, downloadable PDFs, bonus interviews, guided meditations, giveaways, resource guides, links to online learning and behind the scenes stuff, and just so much more. The best of it is available at the $2 a month level. Thank you. And please subscribe on whichever app you use. Just click that little subscribe button and review on iTunes. It's so helpful. And if you do that, you just may be featured in a listener spotlight in the future. The music that opens the show is by Marie Sue. That's M-A-R-I-E-E-S-I-O-U-X from her beautiful song, Wild Eyes. Thank you, Marie. And thanks to you all. I look forward to next time.